No, no, but it was set to 4K beta. Like, I think it was just like sucking your bandwidth up a little you bit. Just call so. my bro, did you just call him a beta? Bro? I called him a beta cuck. <laughs> His video is beta him, cucking me, and I'm a top. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, you, I'm topping it up right now. You so, guys anyway. missed this. It was the best conversation ever. I can't remember how we even got on it, but we basically came to the conclusion that in the future, instead of being like Sigmas and Alpha, it's just going to be like, I'm a top and you're a bottom. I'm a top, bro. I'm just built People different. do that now. I'm fine with that. I'm the term is power bottom. Yeah, it's it's but a power top still wins. They talk to you all the time when you're little. They live in I don't know, it's like a factory where ideas are made. They escaped from the absolute, but the plan went wrong. Reality was flawed from the beginning. I mean, haven't you ever felt like there's something missing? They want to come back home. We can save the world if we can just if I can just remember my magic word. What? No, the world doesn't have to be the way it is. We can be them. It's their world that's real, not this one. Our entire universe is a bubble inside this being called the Absolute. Yeah, they bypass the death of their reality by becoming fictional in ours. The ultimate pathetic truth in pathetic existence. They told me. See, we made the comics because we knew, somehow, we knew something was missing. And we tried to fill the gap with stories about gods and superheroes. But they're coming back. To save the world. They told me. I'll try and explain this as fast as possible. There's a myth about that. First time I tried a magic witch when I was 19. You just do this and results will happen. What if we can be smarter? What if we think about these characters that we created? Inwax basically King Mob from the Invisible. Each of these characters, I became the King Mob character, the Lord Fanny character. So what is he? He's, he's more real than I am. With magic. Here we are! Right! Welcome, welcome everyone. I am Sir Miles Kennedy and this is Chaos Magic News. The closest thing you're going to get to an invisible cell in your day-to-day -day life. Joining me is my gender queering co-host, Ford Lanny. H how you doing, Ford? How are you, darling? Also, I just got that name, Sir Miles. God damn. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. Well, we aim to please on this episode. Speaking of aiming and pleasing, we have someone very special with us as a, uh, a third wheel, you know, Third wheels provide stability, so that's what we've got for this, uh, this tricycle of an episode. We've got our dear friend and resident Grant Morrison expert. Local weirdo? I don't know what any of that actually meant. This was someone that we found in the parking lot when we came to do the episode, and after they said something about, like, A-E-I-O-U at you, you, you drop into a trance-like state and said they must come on the show. And you looked really scary, so I just kind of let you do it. Well, I don't know who this person is at all. He told me to leave the pigeons alone, and then he said that, and I realized. So uh, we're, really, we're really happy to have him on. Uh, local, how are you doing today, sir? You know, I, I'm hanging in there. Y'all guys, the, guys got the magic word wrong. It was actually oh, ABCD. Shit. Oh, shit. God, start writing with my right hand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you gotta you gotta break the cycle. Um, yeah, I'm just glad that y'all guys have given me some McDonald's and a bottle of fresh water. 
Again, we aim to please out here. We aim to please. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, if you're new around here, you might not know this, but the way this podcast works is we like to do every uh, 10 episodes or so, just uh, take a break from the news, take a break from current events and trying to come up with a new Ron DeSantis joke. Like you have to try for those. No, Ron DeSantis is a joke. Buzzing. We should really be coming up with Nikki Haley jokes because she is now the one who is most likely to lose second Trump. Uh, hold on. Let's let's just check in with uh, showrunner Gary from behind the glass. Gary, Gary, <laughs> uh, give us a Nikki Haley joke. Um, Nikki Haley, more like Eminem's daughter, who's also <laughs> named Haley. <laughs> Fuck that bitch. All right, here we go. Aggressive. I like it. Anyway, um, this is the Grant Morrison special. Anyone who's listened to the podcast before should be more surprised that we haven't done this already. We 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 went with Carlos Castaneda before Grant Morrison. That's that's wild. The first episode was about Grant Morrison. The second episode had references to Grant Morrison. I would be shocked to find if the majority of our episodes didn't have a Grant Morrison reference. Every opening discussion is probably laden with a little bit of Grant Morrison. They are a profound influence on not just us, but chaos magic as a whole. It's really interesting to me that someone like Grant Morrison ended up being such a huge influence. Because if you don't know Grant Morrison as a spooky woo-woo person, you know them as the guy that wrote Doom Patrol or the guy that, like, The Matrix ripped off. Like, if you don't realize that Grant Morrison is this prolific occult figure, you would think that they were just kind of like a, a, a comic book writer. Well, the, the trick there, too, is that for Grant Morrison, they're, they're somebody who, for them occultism and their work as a comic book writer go hand in hand. You, you can't separate one from the other. Even some of, uh, I don't even seem some of all of, all of uh, Morrison's early work at least has some passing reference to it. Whether even I think uh, Zenith, which I haven't read actually uses the artwork from Psychonaut in it at certain points as representations of these, uh, sort of eldritchian monstrosities beyond the veil. Arkham Asylum, a serious place on serious earth, references the tarot, among other things. It's ubiquitous. It's baked into Morrison's work. If you try to understand Morrison's work without an understanding of Morrison's work as an occultist, you're just missing out. Right, right. Well, I, you know, the other problem you're going to have is understanding Grant Morrison's work without understanding who Grant Morrison is. So for anyone that's living under a rock, I guess, do we want to give a quick overview of who this wonderful figure we love so much actually is? You mean you want me to read the Wikipedia? Well, I was going to have Local do it. Awesome. Local's pulling out his big binder. <laughs> <laughs> Local just shut down like, fuck, I got to go find the Wikipedia page. Y'all guys don't have it memorized? <laughs> we couldn't even get the, the joke right at the beginning of this. Do you think we got a Wikipedia page memorized? So the bit aside, Grant Morrison is a comic book writer, right? From Scotland? <laughs> no. Oh, fuck. Maybe your puny definition of Grant Morrison. My puny definition of Scottish. <laughs> is this like a no true Scotsman thing? or Is that what this oh is? My God. Oh, it's a high okay, so... Thing. 
Oh, Graham Morrison's a comic book writer from Scotland <laughs> who really comes about. When did Morrison actually start writing? Like the late 80s? Oh, Lord. Uh, like mid to late 80s. I know Spider-Man and Zoids was like, what, 88? Wait, 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 wait. Now you're telling me something. Wait, Morrison wrote Spider-Man and Zoids? How did, what? Uh, yeah, that was like his like first. It was in 2000 AD. Um, yeah, I, shit. I can't remember That's when it insane. actually came out. Okay. Um, All right. Here, let's. I'm, I'm actually gonna peruse the the Wikipedia so that you know what high quality research we do. <laughs> now, now here's something I actually knew is that Morrison was bor- Morrison was born in uh, like like 60, right? Like right on the dot, something like that. Morrison was uh, was wasn't even 20 years old when they first started actually writing shit and actually getting published, which is just sort of, you know, makes me feel like a piece of shit, but, uh, well done, you know, well, well done Morrison. You just wanted it more, I guess. Yeah. Your band wasn't as um, good as the mixers either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the other thing. They had a fucking, ba- they had a fucking band. They were, they just did everything. They were like, my, my understanding is that, uh, had um some very politically minded and semi artsy parents and they were in Glasgow, Scotland, which was, wasn't a great place to be at the time. Grant's father specifically was a soldier who was very active in the anti-nuclear campaign, which he talks about a lot in, I think, Super Gods. Oh, yeah. It's, I guess that's kind of the way to look at it. Is Morrison was Scottish. He was working class. His parents were, oddly enough, kind of radical, something a little different in that era. And Morrison responded to all that by having a very paranoid worldview for a while and then eventually kind of turning into like a weird punk kid. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And it, and it, it manifests in uh like really early with comics where there's uh Gideon Stargrave, hold on to that name later strips appear in near myths in 1978. So like 17, which is, you know, so that's like your first published thing when you were 17 fucking fucking a wonder kid. But then it turns into very early on getting into the uh, the UK scene. The, here's where the Spider-Man <laughs> Zoids thing go on. Apparently gets their hands on a Zoid strip and Spider-Man for Spider-Man and Zoids. And that's uh, about 86. And then, you know, 2000 AD comes along, you know, names that if you if you're familiar with comic books of that area and of that time period, because in and of themselves, uh, British comics are it's interesting own little contained environment for a while, which is just from a comic book nerd perspective, it's just a really interesting time because people got away with a lot of stuff that they wouldn't get over in their American counterparts. And then that also leads to the British invasion, which is like Gaiman and Alan Moore and, uh, and Morrison's the, the big trifecta there. It's pretty big successes. And there's like, there's Zenith, which I mentioned, which I haven't read, but again, has the occult references, Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth shows up a little later as a one shot. And that's when his career starts taking off. Animal Man happens, which uh, if you haven't read it, it's kind of a quintessential as far as comics. Now it's one of the it's one of the times that breaking the fourth wall happens, where it isn't a joke. It's it's a, a great example of sort of experimental writing happening in comics that you don't get a lot of at the time, which we kind of accept as box standard. Yeah, this is breaking from a lot of the formulaic writing that was going on at the time. Even though this itself was already kind of a period where we were getting a lot more in-depth things in comics but i mean morrison's definitely pushing the envelope on that one animal man leads to doom patrol doom patrol leads to bigger things eventually he gets his mitts in everything from batman to the justice league to pretty much whatever the hell he wants and all the while he 
I, I guess in their in their own way stays true to their weird roots. You know, even in the most sanitized, straightforward Morrison stories, there's always something a little, a little out there. Something that either holds on to an older period of comics or something that looks forward to breaking the mold, as it were. I know what most of you are thinking. All right, you're mentioning some vague occult things happening in the backdrop, some weird ideas, some artsy, nonlinear narratives and things like that. How does this relate to magic? I think the biggest thing that we could point to is the Invisibles, which happened on the Vertigo imprint for DC Comics, where they basically just made a little spot for creators at the time to just do, like, hey, if we were just to let you write whatever, you know, like, within reason, what would you want? And then Morrison said, I want to take Margaret Thatcher and put her in a cannon and shoot her into the sun. And they were like, well, we said within reason. And he's like, all right, all right fine. No, hang on. He said it like, well, I want to take Margaret Thatcher and put her in a cannon. When they said within reason, he was like, well, all right, I'm going to take Princess Diana and I'm going to put her in the tunnel. <laughs> oh. And, and like, how big do you want your cannon? <laughs> okay, so like, now that we've gotten some of the, where we've rattled off a hundred different titles that this person wrote, and their sort of position as a up-and-coming comic book darling, this is when we start getting into, like, the spooky woo-woo, and this is why I brought up The Invisibles. The Invisibles started publishing in 1992, went on to 1999 with a couple small breaks in between, and it was essentially Morrison writing a magical initiation in comic book form, the apocalypse, and then also coining the phrase hyper sigil in which the events of the comic book played out in in a in their life in greater and lesser ways i'm not a hundred percent on morrison's writings on magic at the time i don't know if they were writing i know in the invisibles they give a very baseline understanding of how sigils are supposed to work as far as like the the make a pretty squiggle and then wank off on it sort of thing. Uh, actually, when the book wasn't selling as well as they were as they wanted, and they were going to cancel it, and he was like, "Hey, everybody who reads this, just uh, whack off to this sigil and try to get our sales figures up." Yeah, it was the it was the wankathon. Yeah, like it was the in, the, in the in the in the letters column. <laughs> he was like, "Boy, y'all, go jack off to <laughs> this it, mate." But it also it it worked. The the sales figures went up. The Invisibles did not get canceled and ran. To my understanding, it didn't get cut short or anything. It ran its full run, ended where Morrison wanted it to end. But I don't know when Morrison really starts coming right out in front and people and saying, hey, here's how magic works until you get to uh, the lecture that he gave the, for DisinfoCon, which if you haven't seen that, where, you know, where are you? Like, you're a chaos magic person and you haven't seen this? This, this thing gets reposted in different corners of the web 23 times in a day at bare minimum. Real quick, before we go super hardcore into the magic and the invisibles itself, I just wanted to ask both of you, what was your experience with like Grant Morrison as a as like a, a comic book person, first off, I'll say? Like what was the first thing you read by him? Or did you both come to him being like, Oh, I heard he was a spooky woo-woo guy and it made me want to read a funny book? Okay, I can tell you the first time I read anything by Grant Morrison, I didn't realize who Grant Morrison was. And that was uh that was 
Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. Oh, I remember yeah, getting a Batman phase. Yeah, just getting a vast collection of various Batman stuff. And like I was combing through one shots and it's like, hey, this looks really this looks weird. And it was this absolutely one of a kind art style and a very having bounced around what was there wasn't quite as edgy and unsettling as it probably was at the time. But it was still definitely like with the art style and the subject matter, it was it it was weird. It was, it was very out there and all the occult references went right over my head and I just walked away going, Oh man, ain't, ain't the Joker scary. I do remember the, the hyper consciousness thing of saying the Joker reinvents himself daily. Uh, sometimes he's a, 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 a cunning prankster. Sometimes he's a murderous madman. And it was like, yeah, that, that kind of make that kind of works for the different interpretations of the character. I mean, that's neat. I didn't know who the hell Grant Morrison was when I read that, and I didn't. I did not know. And as much as I loved comic books, and I, I'll say this, comic books in a lot of ways did set me on the path that I'm on, which is sad. <laughs> but uh, I didn't know, or I didn't. At least I didn't understand who Grant Morrison was as a as an occultist until the Invisibles kind of got on my periphery, and I was like, "Well, what what the hell is all this about?" and before I ever even really sat through and read the whole thing, I had already seen, I, I was already seeing bits and pieces of Morrison talking about being laid up in a hospital bed, trying to write their way out of it because the comic book had bled into their life. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, shit. I want yeah, some that. Yeah, that sounds like a, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's great when somebody's talking about, yeah, I was writing a comic book and the magic put me in a hospital bed. And then your dumb ass is going, oh man, that's really cool. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> That's so badass. I wish I could do that. And the best part about Grant is Grant is like, yes, you can. Yeah. Probably going to be awful. But then, uh, then Animal Man came after the fact, and I've, you know, Doom Patrol I read, and then I, I don't have nearly as much to say about, like, when he wrote for Justice League and stuff. And then Morrison cemented themselves as, uh, as the, the flagship of DC as far as, like, the weird out there writers, but also, like, one of their exceedingly competent ones because of, a combination of almost encyclopedic knowledge of DC and then just enough weird ideas to sort of twist them into interesting narratives. Okay. So now, now every time, you know, if Grant Morrison wants to write Green Lantern, they just, they, they give him Green Lantern. You want to write for Batman? What? You want to kill Batman off? Okay, sure. You know, that's neat. You want to give Batman a son? Uh, all right, sure. Sure. That's cute. Aww. Yeah. You know, uh, then Final Crisis happened. All-Star Superman happened. Batman Incorporated. You know, this is like, you know, th this is like when you yell at me for name dropping oh, yeah. people. Like, you can't just name drop books. Like, I get oh, it. Everyone sorry. knows who Superman is. So they're like, all right, Grant I'm got just, to write sorry, Superman. I'm just trying to throw all of these out as like, these are Listeners, very big. I will just tell you, I will tell you that all of those are probably like some of the biggest critical acclaim books of like the last 20 yeah. years. I'll yeah. say that's like. When people go like the best Superman story, All Star Superman's there. When they talk about like company crossovers, Final Crisis is there. Local. What about you? What was your first experience with like Grant Morrison? It was the comics. Uh, Baby Local. Baby Local. He found uh, Grant's JLA graphic novel where the Justice League fights the Hyper Clan. 
and I had no idea that it was some kind of like weird commentary <laughs> on commercialism. I was just like, oh, hell yeah. Grant's taking all my favorite characters and he's smashing up against these assholes. I will say that the one thing, it was back when Superman was, what, his electric phase? Oh, the Superman blue, yeah. Yeah, but you could, in, in like Grant's JLA, you could tell that he just wasn't having any of it. So it was just, it was literally just straight up regular Superman man just in the artist was like i have to draw this as superman electric uh. <laughs> um, so it was just like it was just like clark just punching angels in the face but instead of being in the red and blue he was in the like red and light if I rem- like it was just ridiculous <sighs> okay not to not to i'll, I'll make this short no nope, nerd moment I'll, I'll make this really short but like could you imagine being morrison and being like oh man i finally get to write for superman and then editorial mandate comes down and it's like well you, you can write you can use superman but uh you, we're doing we're doing the blue thing now and it's like what what <laughs> fuck you no i i, I genuinely like i genuinely i think that's what happened morrison was like hell yeah i'm writing the jla and like Warner Brothers was like, hey, bro, but he electric now. And Grant was like, I said we electric now. Yeah. And, and, but Grant's like, yeah. okay, he electric now, but he not. But not like, really, though. This isn't a sham at all. Like, I definitely didn't write something about him using a cape. Yeah. It's like, it's like Clark rips his cape off and then electric powers happen. But yeah, uh, as far as his woo-woo goes, I, like, I had read about Invisibles and how it was like magic stuff a ways ago. I was intimidated by it. I was like, shit, this guy's <laughs> doing a spell. I don't see, no, see, that, that. Hang on, hang I'm on. A- Local, that is the good reaction to have, not what co-host did where he's like, holy shit, this guy ended up in a hospital with a collapsed lung and a flesh-eating virus on his face? I want some of that. That's what normal people do is go like, I don't think I want to read that one. <laughs> you guys doing demon stuff? Like, holy shit, you guys doing demon stuff? I don't want to do that. I'm going to read Spider-Man. Yeah. Fuck this. Then Warner Brothers showed up and said, I said we doing demon stuff now. <laughs> okay. But yeah, um, I like Invisibles, the, it gets into consent stuff because he's like, okay, this is a spell that I am doing. And it's fine that he's like, this is a spell where I'm doing, but <laughs> readers is dumb. Like, well, that is the most interesting thing to really think about with the Invisibles is that this was a comic book writer telling you he was doing magic spooky stuff to a bunch of people that totally did not believe in that shit at all. Exactly, no, like, like, yeah, Grant. This is your 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 '80s punk comic about smoking fungus or whatever the hell it is. That's totally magic, bro. Obviously, cool. You're gonna tell me the secrets of the universe, whatever. And then twenty years later, mm-hmm. okay, there. One of the, <laughs> twenty years later, we have weirdos on a podcast talking about it. Another <laughs> slight nerd moment here. I I remember uh, because I've read The Invisibles purely in digital format well i won't say purely i've, I've bought some of it I, I but i didn't shell out the 400 dollars in your firstborn for the invisibles omnibus and even then i'm not sure if it has the the letter sections but i ended up tracking down like somebody had compiled all of the uh the letter sections from the different 
uh, issues of The Invisibles. And there's people that are just sending in letters that it's like, hey, uh, I read your book and there was this weird synchronicity happened here and this and this thing. So people started reading this and uh, almost immediately having these kinds of spooky woo-woo, like, hey, you you know, I read this and then this happened. And Morrison is just responding like, yeah, fam, I don't know how that shit works. <laughs> this shit is scary, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like winky uh, face I think there was almost a thing where uh, I, I, i'm just remember trying to remember one response where it's something to do with uh with the Ar- with the arcadia arc but it he they just say something to the effect of uh i'm not sure if you're the one doing it or if i'm the one doing it but at the same time it's like hmm grant you're the one writing the comic aren't you <laughs> like you know, you're the one who said hey this is a magic spell i don't know that's a little dishonest to throw that off on the reader like it's their fault yeah, like, that's where I'm at. Like, as someone that's now that is kind of well-versed in spooky woo-woo, I would still be leery of someone going, hey, I'm doing a book that's a spell. Check it out without knowing what you're d- getting into. Yeah, I guess in that way of, like, be careful what you're letting in. Well, I mean, it's it's different than that, though, to a certain point. Again, of course, like, if you're someone that doesn't believe in that shit at all, whatever. but. As someone who is a spooky woo-woo, if someone came to you and said, hey, I'm making a crazy hyper-sigil book, you should get down with this. Like, really? Are you, you're just going to read that shit? You're not going to think about that for a moment? All of these people broadcasting their hyper-sigils online were like, hey, this is a hyper-sigil, and then wondering why people are going, no, nah, I'm not going to look at that. I don't know what your intention is. At least Morrison, Morrison was very, uh, very forthcoming about their intentions of like, I want to bring about the the ushering of the aeon and and uh, compile like magical initiation into the form of a comic book you know they were very altruistic you know even if maybe a little misguided but very you know very altruistic ideas some people was like i'm gonna do a hyper sigil to get me a bugatti and you know fuck yo bitch that was jay cole's last album and it worked it worked guys <laughs> So, Local, when did you finally break and actually read The Invisibles, though? That's what I'm curious about. And, and how did you feel about it afterwards? Oh, Lord. Um, I bought the brick maybe like 10 or 12 years ago, and I just sat and read it in one chunk overnight. Um, you read the entirety of The Invisibles in one sitting? Yeah, it wasn't fun. Um. I've come back since then and read it back in chunks. Um, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's a trip. He's so <laughs> conflicted about telling you how he really feels. <laughs> no, I mean, it's good. It's really good. And one of the things that I can say is that every time I go back and reread it, you take something new away mm. from it. Like it's, it's like it's first time well it's eye strain, second time it's paper cuts, Grand- you know, you take something new with it every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Gr- Grant is, Grant is a very, ta- like, he is very talented with the graphic novel medium. Yeah, every time you read it, something different comes away, and... I feel like that's the ex- the inexhaustibility of, like, good literature. Again, I mean, everyone knows I'm a snob here. I've never read a comic book in my life, despite Ooh. all the comic books Ooh. I'm claiming to have read. But my favorite book is Moby Dick. <laughs> no, but, no, but in all seriousness, it's like, good, good media. No, again, not even, not even just... Um, not even just graphic novels or actual novels, but film, 
even paintings, I feel like the the thing that makes them so powerful is they're inexhaustible. Like you said, you every time you read The Invisibles, you walk away with something that you didn't quite get last time. Maybe something that you did get has changed. It, it's definitely not a static thing that you can figure out. That's, I, I think, my big line for when I think art crosses over into, into magic. So before we go too deep into the invisibles, because I know we want to talk about the the hyper sigil trilogy kind of as a whole, do we have do you do you guys have any favorite works of Morrison that are either not in that uh not in that trilogy or we haven't really talked about in depth up to this point? Don't look at me. I've never read a comic book in my life. You're still sticking with this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I'm just trying to. He's trying to pick one. Superman and the Authority. Oh. Superman and the okay, Authority. Yeah. Superman and the Authority is really fucking good. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I mean, I really like Doom Patrol. You kind of, you kind of just scraped over it, but I really I, like Doom Patrol. Oh, Doom Patrol is. I so like good. it. I it's just so don't. Good. I, I feel bad because I really just don't actually have that much to say about Doom Patrol. Like it's very out there. It's well, like I guess maybe that's. That's my thing is like, it's, I really like it. I don't, I can't say anything that isn't obvious to anyone that reads it. Like <laughs> Spider-Man and Spider-Man Zoids. and Zoids. I really want to read Grant's okay, run now, on Zoids here's, now though. Here's the problem. Right? If, imagine if you, t- imagine if you woke up today <laughs> and Grant announced, Hey, um, I'm writing, I'm, I'm going to do a run on of Spider-Man and Zoids, right? <laughs> You would be like, oh, holy shit, I'm there. <laughs> he, honestly, Grant could tell me that he was writing a commercial for Scrubbing Bubbles, and I would be like, all right, where's the twist, man? What's going on? What are we doing? It turns out Mr. Clean is King Mob. Uh, of course, of course, of course. Okay, so do we want to, I think we're going to, let's, do you want to do like a, a break here? like a segment break real quick, and then we'll come back to talking about the hyper sigil trilogy. I think Gary would like us to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here we go. All right. So uh, in between these segments, here's a message from the outer church. <laughs> Shit. When our master's work is done, every living thing will have the status of a machine. There will be no creativity, only productivity. Instead of love, there will be fear and distrust. Instead of surrender, there will be submission. We will replace contact with isolation and joy with shame. Hope will cease to exist as a concept. We will cover the earth with steel and with concrete. This planet will be a factory farm producing morons to fuel and maintain the factory engines and feed our masters. There will be an electronic policeman in every head. Your children will be born in chains, live only to serve, and die in anguish and ignorance. Look around you. The process is already in its final stages. And you, like everyone else, will take your place on the production line. It's inevitable. You can't escape. This holiday season, remember... We control everything in your world. The Outer Church. We rule you. I'm Johnny Francis. I wasn't in this special. Hey, where'd the music go? 
I was still going here. Whose job is this? Okay, so you use the phrase hyper sigil trilogy. I guess we poked on what a hyper sigil is before, but do we want to like maybe say what like what it was in Grant's words, maybe? Yeah, th and this goes back to what we were trying to touch on probably poorly earlier. For Morrison, their their skills and uh, their work as a comic writer is almost inseparable from their works as an occultist and a magician. Those are exemplified in the hyper sigil trilogy, as Morrison has taken to calling it. And those are three separate miniseries, or I, I guess with the, the Invisibles was three different volumes. The other two are much smaller. There's Flex Mentalo, which I was calling Flex Mentalo this whole time, but then I heard it pronounced on the Doom Patrol TV show, and it's like, oh, I guess I'm the asshole. There's Flex Mentalo, there's the Invisibles, and then there's the Filth. And all three of these are touching on the relationship between fiction and reality, and then specifically the Invisibles as the, the prime, prime example. This is the comic series that coined the term hypersigil, because that is a Morrison invention. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And it's the idea of a sigil being a form of symbolized intent in a, a quick thing, you know, where it's, it's a glyph, it's a, it's a mantra, it's a, sometimes it's done as a posture, I would say, but most of us are, are familiar with it as a little squiggle, just a simple glyph of my desire is to be king of the moon next Sunday, right around two o'clock, you know, that sort of thing. But Morrison takes that and adds the fourth dimension of time in that it is a, a form of symbolized intent that you were working with over a long period and by manipulation of this symbol within its own context, you were able to affect change. And for him, that turned into a comic series where Morrison he creates... He got his face <laughs> eaten by a flesh-eating virus. I'm getting to that. <laughs> where he got put into the DC Comics universe. Where he got a really cool redhead girlfriend. <laughs> um, real quick, before you... Real quick, before you go into the bare bones of what happens with the Invisibles, I just want to read this. This is from something called Pop Magic that Grant wrote. Well after the Invisibles. Well, not well, well after. but And that is from Disinfo's Book of Lies, right? It was yes. like, it was concurrent with like the the last volume, right? I can't remember. When did the Invisibles end? It was uh, 99, right? December, yeah, 99, yeah. December of 99. Yeah, because it was the new millennium. Um, I think, I feel like, I feel like Disinfo's book came out in like 2000 something, like 2005. I know dis, dis, the DisinfoCon lecture, the infamous one, was 2000 on the nose, and I feel like it was after that. 2003. Yeah, so it's, it's after Grant knows they're a winner. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, anyway, so he wrote this. In, um, this is just a little section called Hypersigil. The hypersigil, or supersigil, develops the sigil concept beyond the static image and incorporates elements such as a characterization, drama, and plot. The hypersigil is a sigil extended through the fourth dimension. My own comic book series, The Invisibles, was a six-year-long sigil in the form of an occult adventure story which consumed and recreated my life during this period of its composition and execution. The hypersigil is an immensely powerful and sometimes dangerous method for actually altering reality in accordance with intent. Results can be remarkable and shocking. Well, I mean, there's, there's really not... The, 
hyper sigil is one of those things that gets thrown around like every you know my my uh what was the joke my angel fire page is a uh, hyper sigil because well, I, I have all the hyperlinks in page. it yeah because oh, well, yeah, i have the hyperlinks yeah it, uh, some shit like that. that but yeah, yeah. it's but it, at least from the from the horse's mouth morrison lays out what they were thinking when they brought up hyper sigil now granted there's there's loads and loads of ways that you can go with it in different directions I think the important thing for Morrison is that it's not a, it's not like a collection of sigils, you know, it's not like I just got a billion and one sigils and put them all together in like a box. And that's my hyper sigil. I think for Morrison, at least there's something very important about like the temporal and historical aspect of it. I think like, that's what I think his bag on this really is. It's what was important about the invisibles is that, he got to write another issue each month. Right, right, right. It wasn't just, and, and Morrison even makes note that their life was changing while they were writing. The, as we'll get into the, uh, the actual plot of The Invisibles overall in just a minute, there's an example of a character who is clearly a stand-in for Morrison themselves gets infected with a sort of flesh-eating virus. And Morrison ends up in a hospital with a flesh-eating virus, really fucked up. And Morrison mentions writing, like I said at the beginning, writing their way out of it, where they, they take the sickness and illness that they're dealing with and uh, create this sort, of, uh, <clears throat> this sort of bad guy to fight with and a means to work its way out of it. And I don't think that Morrison is, is chalking everything up to like, oh, well, I wrote, a, I wrote about it in the comic and that it just made it go away. But it was the notion that by giving giving the character an out in the book it 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 granted a an opening of some kind or a means that Morrison themselves could actually heal and not end up as like a tragic casualty imagine if the invisibles had just stopped there god and, and that's the important thing is that while these changes are taking place it's like mm, well what do what happens now I did this in the book, and this is how my life changed. So if I go in this direction, what happens? And you can even notice <laughs> a lot, you know, King Mob doesn't end up quite fucked up like that ever again in that book. <laughs> in, in Super Gods, Grant talks about, like, he refers to the Invisibles as a voodoo world. Yeah. And they say, like, I tried to keep the world as close to the real world as I could. And then I would just change subtle things and it would change the way my world worked. I have a weird view on hyper sigil. Like, hey, is it just a regular sigil? Like, but the, the voodoo world, I get it. He, he, made, he made a voodoo uh, doll. Okay. Yeah, I see where you're yeah, going with this. You know, well, cause, uh, hang on, actually, because he, he uses that, he doesn't use that exact phrase, but he, he talks about the voodoo doll here in, the, in Pop Magic. Let's see. Um, the Hyper Sigil is a dynamic miniature model of the magician's universe, a hologram, microcosm, or voodoo doll, which can be manipulated in real time to produce changes in the macrocosmic environment or real life. Maybe we've been fucking it all up and like, because people got really into the idea of Hyper Sigils, like we said, you know, like my meme page is a Hyper Sigil. Maybe if he had called it the voodoo world, we wouldn't have all of that shit. We'd be like, okay, at least we understand what this is. It's a thing that was supposed to be his life and he manipulated because we all understand how the voodoo doll works. No one's arguing about like sigils or temporality or any of that shit. Now you're just like, no, it's a 
it's a voodoo it's a voodoo comic my <laughs> nope. life gets better when i write the main character big dick mc big hands as like getting a million dollars every week i don't know why people read it it's probably just because i that's the only way i could get this money dear consumers king mob is a millionaire now <laughs> i know specifically um the om shinriko stuff that happened straight up like what a month after the subway bombings like grant was straight up just yeah. like oh no an atrocity just happened let me write it into my book and maybe that's uh maybe that was part of uh their their attempt of like I need to keep this world as, as uh, I need to try to keep my voodoo world in line with everything else that was going on. But also, it might have just been par for the course because um, The Invisibles is very apocalyptic. And I think that was just one of the things that needed to. Yeah, no, like, oh, yeah, yeah, just... yeah if, the, if that comes up in the real world, if you're writing an apocalyptic comic, you're going to have to be like, oh shit. Right, how, well, would me, King, yeah. how would King Mob shoot these guys? <laughs> Um, Boy, I think, Buddha. not to go too deep on another side of this because we need to get to what actually happens in the invisibles what does actually happen in the invisibles <laughs> scholars have been wondering that for decades the one thing i will say is that if you know anything about morrison's ideas of emotion and power in that kind of aspect of like the way like energy works from people's emotional reactions to things and such it makes perfect sense that he would put something like that in there if the idea is that part of um part of the hyper sigil is that people are reading this comic, tons of readers seeing like the tragedy that happened this month in a comic book going like, oh, fuck, I think we should just be thankful that it ended before 2001. That'd be like the entire that'd be that'd be a couple Ooh, months. Yeah. Of fucking oh, Lord, I swear to God, uh, they they probably wouldn't let him get away with that one, though. Warner Brothers would be like. Nah, he electric now. <laughs> King, Mob. <laughs> King Mob is electric now. And I hate King Mob Blue. King Mob Blue. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, but then he splits into King Mob Blue and King Mob Red. And, Man, uh, King Mob Boy was the worst character okay. ever, guys. <laughs> King Mob Boy Prime. Uh, okay, come on. So what's the Invisibles about? What happens? Who's the invisible? Yeah, so King Mob is uh, Grant Morrison's struggle with becoming bald. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, my God. And this is, the, this is the densely intricate web that is the invisible because that is actually an <laughs> God, please don't put that in the podcast. We're putting it on the podcast and we're sending it to his sub so he knows he said it. <laughs> Boy, you bald mug. If somebody asked me to explain the Invisibles in as succinct a way as possible, I would say that there is an outer church of archons, which are extra-dimensional demonic beings that are the secret rulers of the Earth. And they are in a war against the Invisibles, which are a network of clandestine psychic terrorist cells that are attempting to overthrow their regime and free the human spirit. What does that actually translate to? A bunch of weird, psychedelic, spiritual muckabouts getting in uh, all kinds of strange shenanigans against very, uh, very out there alien-like presences. What you're left with is a look at a specific 
cell in the Invisibles network that consists of a character called King Mob, who is our stand-in for Grant Morrison, right down to being a UK writer who is bald and has some very strange uh, spiritual beliefs that are also tied up with his penchant for violence that he developed and his attempts to uh, war against authorities because of his incredibly punk background. Then you have Lord Fanny, who is a cross-dressing Brazilian, I believe. I know. Yeah, she's I know Brazilian. She's some... Yeah, they're Brazilian. Then you have Boy, who is a former American police officer who, after her brother disappears under mysterious circumstances, she joins up to find him and then ends up becoming an invisible. Then there's Ragged Robin, who is psychic and also kind of bonkers. But she is the she is the the girl Friday to King Mob. Her background is incredibly mysterious, and as you find out more of her background, a lot more of the overarching plot of the Invisibles gets revealed. She's but also the she, first one know, to point out that it's a comic book. I feel like you can't talk about Ragged Robin without spoiling the entire plot of Invisible. Yeah, and that's the, I feel like you can't get into too much in depth about any of the characters without a lot <laughs> going up. But then finally, the last character is Jack Frost, who is a Liverpool street tough who after committing a uh, a violent felony basically gets sent <laughs> to like what's essentially like a reformatory school thing, but it's actually a um like a an essence draining farm for the archons and yeah like we're gonna we're gonna make you smooth between the ears and smooth between the legs smooth between the ears and smooth between the legs and what we steal from you will feed the kings of this earth no i love dane mcgowan so much he's um he's the main character of volume one yeah. of invisibles and then gets put to the background for volume two because they're like we 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 want king mob go shoot him up we need more of the mobster, you know? Um, and yeah, and, and for the record, Dane is, that's Jack Frost. I didn't say, I didn't say his real oh, name. Oh, my bad. Yep. No, you're good. No, you're, you're just better at this game than I am because you knew the real name right off the rip. I knew his name was Dane. I couldn't remember the last name. It's Dane McGowan because it's like Shane McGowan. Oh, did I never rip. fucking catch that? Oh, I'm a fucking idiot. So uh, basically, after Jack Frost gets sent to this reformatory school, which is actually like a, a brainwashing, essence-stealing uh, factory to feed the Archons, King Mob busts in and just shoot him up, bang, bang, messes the place up, and then just dumps Jack out on the streets. Like you do. Oh, okay. Yeah, like you do. And then he meets Tom O'Bedlam, who is just possibly my favorite character in the entirety of The Invisibles, even though... He's in a collective. He's in a collective of, of uh, about six issues, and like two of those are flashbacks. But he meets Tom O'Bedlam, who is a homeless man who is out of his mind. But he actually initiates Dane into the Invisibles by slowly but surely peeling back the veil and uh, implanting all of these sort of subtle psychic, magical teachings into him. And then some not so subtle where it's like, all right, we're going to jump off this building. And then like when they do, a portal opens and he's in like the astral realm. Yeah. And there's also the infamous uh, blue mold. Yeah. The blue mold that you smoke. But uh, guess what? You can't get high off a of smoking blue mold. Spoiler. After that initiation, Tom just disappears because, you know, the, the great, the wise sage comes in and once his lessons are, are taught, he disappears again. 
But then he makes contact with King Mob and Fanny and Robin and Boy and you know and, and everybody else, and they become this uh, this five member team. That's when the story proper starts because it turns out that from the moment that they spied Jack, they knew that he, and that's also during this time with Tom O'Bedlin, that's when he gets his code name of Jack Frost. That's when they actually begin proper where they, they start going on various missions to undermine the Archon's authority. And you start finding out more and more about this longstanding war that's been going on for aeons and aeons. And it's a lot to explain. And uh, the more you read it, the more puzzled you're going to become by it. A whole programs and podcasts and also and books too lots of books actually more than you would think there when you, you know your book is complicated when you got to write other books for it people have deep dived into the the story and the heart of the invisibles about like what's really going on and we're not going to be able to break it down for you here but the important thing is that it this was Morrison's attempt to not only create this sort of holographic representation of the world that he could poke and prod at not just to mess with his life, but to mess with everything. He, you know, this was him a trying, I said, it's very apocalyptic. He was trying to, in his own small way, uh, amenitize the eschaton. He was trying to bring about the end of the world. He was, and it wasn't, you know, all gloom and doom. Part of it was going to be all of us sort of waking up. And in that same vein, it was also the idea of by just by reading it, you were becoming initiated into this magical universe along with Jack. And I think most coyotes that have read it, it's it was probably rather successful. Local, since you um since you were the one that had a little apprehension about reading it, how how did it affect you magically reading it? What was Grant's stated intention when he started Invisibles? It was like if you read this, it will give you the secret of the universe. It was something to that effect. I'm yeah, sure. like yeah, it was it's yeah, literally like, something like that. He 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 had a tall order there. Um, and I mean, I guess they succeeded. Um, it it definitely, as I was reading it, influenced what I was looking into as far as woo woo went. But yeah, once you get to the end, it's just kind of really confusing, and it's just whatever Grant's doing to like help Grant get through the day. Yeah, I that was um, I I think I joked about that. I can't remember if it was on the pod or not, but it was some somebody was talking about a movie or something like that, and like, well, like you know, it's really good until they get to the end, and it's like then they wrote themselves into a corner, and it just has no ending. And I was like, oh, like the Invisibles. Exactly. Like, and it's not even, it's not even like a huge criticism because it's not like the ending is like the worst thing ever. And it will be like, Oh, the invisibles was great, but that ending just fucking sucks. When you, it turns out when you're writing a book with the intention of bringing about like a new state of consciousness and understanding of the world, because that's Grant's ideas. Like Grant's one of Grant is definitely one of the, everything is consciousness people. Grant definitely thinks that it's all about us like exploring the higher dimensions of existence and stuff like that. Like, you know, he likes those kind of terms for it. But the point is when you're bringing about something that's supposed to be like the next evolution in humanity, you can't write that in a comic book because it wouldn't make any fucking sense. And that's what the ending of the invisibles is. It's like, this doesn't make sense. I, I, this is kind of like I a guess fever I understand dream. it in like, the sense of, Invisibles is something that you're supposed to reread multiple times and take away different things every time. So why would you have a solid ending? Yeah. But also that 
shit's crazy, Grant. Like, just tell me who win. Why couldn't King Mob just have come out and shot the Archons in the head? Like John Rambo. Yeah, style. like, I like that would have been way better. Look, look, I just want King Mob and Ragged Robin to get smooch on the lips I, and then camera pans away and credits roll. <laughs> and everyone has a happy ending and that's fine. And then I can go read the filth and get, get real sad. <laughs> oh lord i will say that i think that the third volume of the invisibles definitely suffers the hardest and while i do think that the second to last issue gives us a halfway decent climax to the particular battle that the main cast has been fighting the last issue is uh is mostly a clusterfuck it's incomprehensible it's, like you know mm. and i don't again I don't think I don't think Morrison would be even insulted by saying that, but it, like it's it's a fucking mess. It definitely suffers, and uh, I think it's what you're talking about on a certain level, where it's, it's that trying to express some very high-minded ideas, and it's it's probably my same complaint that I have with the ending of Luda. You're trying really hard, almost at the last minute, to tie in a bunch of really out there ideas that. Um, Maybe I'm just not, I'm not smart enough to get, I don't know. Uh, maybe there's some people that are listening to this that are just going, you fucking hacks, what do you mean you didn't like it? Did, what, you didn't think it was the perfect ending to everything? Bro, the sentence is up. It's literally a period. You know, like that's, as a, a hyper sigil, the ending of it is, uh, it, the, I guess that's the, the peak eschatology, where it was the idea of like Morrison was, Putting right at the last minute the the ultimate liberation of humanity and everything else, we were all going to be pulled like a tractor beam into the into the 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 shining white brilliance of the hereafter and or or whatever it is you know when you get beyond the when you get beyond the the battle that's been waging since the beginning of forever and you can you can see what's beyond it and um, I don't know if you guys <laughs> noticed or not that didn't happen. Yeah, no, what happened two years no later, way. guys? No way, what? We're not all happy now? <laughs> We're not all living in the, in the utopia beyond time no, and space? Look, Shit, no wonder my shoes hurt. Marquita Saad promised me that I was going to get whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets whatever they want. <laughs> no bullshit, the Marquita Saad stuff was some of my favorite fucking... I really have to figure out who this Marquita Saad guy is. He seems like he has good ideas. Um, she's a singer. <laughs> Are you, you no 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 are you, you guys are thinking you're talking you thinking marky mark oh, you're right yeah it's the funky bunch marky decide the funky bunch <laughs> yeah <laughs> jack frost and the funky Lord. bunch that's the invisibles oh. in a nutshell for me <laughs> i hate all of you so so much hey gary gary okay quick question did you notice we finally broke the duality and the manichaeism of, of us versus them and good versus evil in this division. And we learned to all see ourselves as one. And we broke the scaffolding that had become a cage on our being. Do you remember when that happened? Yes. And I think that's great. Oh, man. I guess the comic worked for you. Shit. Yeah, you guys did it wrong. You We're read it backwards. We're just too dumb to get it, guys. 
<laughs> we're just really stu- we're just really stupid and that's Jerry's why we're still talking about this comic. Well, I mean, I've only read the Wikipedia, so <laughs> oh. oh my god. Could you imagine trying to understand the invisibles just by reading the Wikipedia page? I I, I literally just read the Wikipedia page and I was like, what the fuck is this talking about? <laughs> and I've actually read it. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> and no one's faulting Morrison for not bringing about the new Aeon. I don't think anybody gets that impression. And I, I don't think that if you really asked Morrison, like that was like even their intent, I think that was just like, that had to be where the ending was, you know? <laughs> so yeah, of course that's where I'm going to end all of this. So it's like, even if we get halfway there, this comic was a success. I don't know. See, I have a, I do have a, this weird idea, especially just because I've listened to a lot of Grant talking today. I think Grant really had the idea that maybe, just maybe, like the Invisibles was going to be the prophetic ending to the twentieth to the twentieth century. In his way of saying it, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, it was dramatized, and it was just you know a wild, fun comic book version of it." But that's going to be what happens. That's going to be the thing. We're all gonna we're all gonna transcend. And you know, I I think Grant Morrison is hurt by it, and I think that's part of what the filth is about. And that's perfect because that is what we are about to talk about. Wait, wait, what's the fill? Keep taking the drug. Keep looking for signs that somebody loves you. So Grant Morrison's The Grit. That's what we're talking about now. The James McAvoy film, The Fills. <laughs> Professor X doing some, I don't know, crime drama. Oh, fuck. That was the other thing we forgot to talk about as far as Grant Morrison's uh, exceptional influence on comics. Grant Morrison's running on the X-Men. That's why he's bald. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah Cere- Cerebro-, Cerebro connects to his scout better with... <laughs> <laughs> Although that's actually an example of Morrison saw what was going on in the movies and brought that into the comics. So the reason it was it was... I don't know, but it was also a, a very, 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 very notable run on the X-Men that to this day stands up and gave us, uh, gave us John Zorn. I hate you. Um, it gave us Phantom X. Oh, yeah, Phantom X, too. Phantom X, Phantom okay. X is the most Grant Morrison character because they're like, yes, I have three brains and one of them is a spaceship. <laughs> that is pretty Grant. If one of them was James Bond, maybe it would be more Grant. But other than that, like, that's what you'd have to do. Grant coming up with characters just from how they describe themselves to other people. <laughs> I've got three brains and one of them's a spaceship. And I'm like, Rrr. the next uh, installment of Grant Morrison's hyper sigil is a 13 issue miniseries called the filth, which I believe is also on vertigo. I can't, I honestly can't be bothered right now. I just <laughs> no, Yeah. It's, it's vertigo. Yeah. Okay. And this covers a character named Greg Feely who is a middle-aged man living alone in the UK who uh, has some very eccentric taste as far as his sexuality. He has a cat. Yeah, Tony. Tony, who, and Tony is his precious boy. And that's the other thing. Grant Morrison has a fondness for cats. Comes up a lot in their work. Um, nothing really to be said about it beyond, you know, who doesn't love a cat, you know? Greg lives alone with his cat, Tony. And uh, wakes up one day, comes home from work, and is uh, awakened to the fact that he is actually a sleeper agent 
for an organization that secretly governs the world called The Hand. And you'll notice the parallels almost immediately in that Jack Frost gets initiated into a sort of uh, a secretive psychic terrorist cell to battle against the authorities of the world. Greg Feely gets basically uh, reactivated to be reminded that, oh, no, you're actually one of the enforcers of the status quo enforcing uh, secret organization that controls everything. So it's, it's right off the bat, you're getting almost the opposite. And Greg is informed that Greg Feely, the personality that he thinks is him, is actually a para-personality, a, a sort of uh, a, a suit that you put on and pretend. Greg Feely is who Special Constable Ned Slade turns into when he wants to get the hell away from everything. Greg Feely is Clark Kent versus Superman fixing everyone's problems. Exactly. And Ned Slade, when he wakes up, he's, his, his head is all jumbled because he was awoken too early and very quickly. And he was like, you promised me more time. And they're like, well, yeah, but, the, but it's really bad news. Uh, Spartacus Hughes, who is a, another agent of the hand who has gone rogue, is now running rampant with his uh, elite training and intricate knowledge of the hand to basically cause all kinds of what is Spartacus Hughes' superpower? It's something like anti-society martial arts. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> like, no, I know the ninja moves to bring society down. <laughs> yeah, and that is essentially, and that, and and that is the because the entire point is that the hand enforces status quo, which is very on the nose. You know, status quo, status quo. The hand is described as the cleaners of the filth, the all of the muck and mire that piles up on the there's even sometimes it's taken as very literal because you see the hand has these mounds like these these disposal areas where it's just it's like dead bodies and porn and like destroy technology and all this stuff and it's just these massive piles that they're just processing and, and getting rid of basically when any kind of like paranormal supernatural uh Tech, technology that the world isn't ready for or t any of those things being used as a way that would disrupt the day-to-day -day operations of ordinary people, the hand step in. And Greg slash Ned is our stand-in because his memories are still bungled as fuck, so he doesn't remember what's going on. And in the meantime, he's still holding on to this Greg Feely personality because he feels like Greg is more real. You know, he, Ned is barely awake but greg is still like worried about his cat tony who is is sick you know it's old sick sick tony it's really sad so right off the bat again you're you're seeing these these uh these complete reversals the invisibles being like this punk anarchy man fuck the fuck the system fuck the establishment everything that's going on is normal but normal is actually fucked and then meanwhile you have the hand which is like you know uh people are just trying to live their lives and like all of a sudden Spartacus Hughes is here throwing a, a cruise ship full of people into a cannibalist, like turning them all into like crazed cannibals. Like Event Horizon shit. Yeah, yeah, like totally. Uh, and Spartacus Hughes is shown to be incredibly capable and, and easily manipulating people into complete disarray almost at the drop of a hat. It's like he walks into a room and people start going crazy. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's anti-social martial arts. Like, that's yeah, like his, his power or his power is literally like 
causing I'm going disarray to cause, of the yeah. social fabric. Like, and meanwhile, things are get bad when I show up. That's my power. And meanwhile, Greg slash Ned is is confused, but also looking at like this is not you know he he can see what's going on enough to be like this is not good. We like we we need to stop this guy. I I, I cannot allow this person to kill this. Yeah, person. and there's uh there's a lot of notable because it's it's told almost in a series of vignettes while the overarching story is Ned trying to make sense of this world that he's been thrust back into, while still really just wanting to go back to being with his cat, you know? Yeah. And uh, there's uh, one notable story that I think we've all kind of wanted to talk about because we've been saying, like, hey, right from the start. Oh, Lord. <laughs> there is, a, and it's, and I think that this is good because it really shows, like, while The Invisibles has some crazy stories, they all sort of make sense where it's the idea of, like, uh, there's like astral projection and time travel and weird time loops going on. And there's like, you know, there's demons and ghosts yeah, and stuff like that. End. They all follow three lines of logic where they make sort of there's they. T- well, yeah. And then, you know, there's there's language as power. There's language as being able to control the world or he can who can manipulate language can manipulate reality. But the filth holds no punches because it's just like the what's the most raunchy depraved fucking thing you can think of and then it's it's throwing it out there so there's a one story where basically a there is a porn star who is notable because he has black semen yeah and anders like climax his, <laughs> yep his name is anders climax and uh that is his gimmick and that is how he has made his way in the trade where it's like everybody's got to have a gimmick Anders has no memory of his past beyond that he knows he's in the adult film industry. So he's just been sort of traveling around. And then a, uh, a high-end hardcore porn producer by the name of Texas Porno. So again, very on the nose. <clears throat> uh, and he's just a naked dude in a cowboy hat. And he's got like this fu- crazy fuck mansion. Basically, he, he, uh, he, he kidnaps this guy and uses him for an arcane ritual of some sort to weaponize the the man's sperm <laughs> and release giant hostile sperm cells that just attack anything with a uterus and they just like they touch you and you explode me and your girl when there's even <laughs> and there's a line having reread this not too recently there's a there's a line where it's just like seeing what's going on and and uh, Anders just says, "How much did this guy hate women?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's like, like that's all you can say Grant about Morrison it. Like, how commenting much- on himself. <laughs> the <laughs> like, like the the entire arc is just what the fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's one story. I wanted to talk about Dimitri Nine. Is what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh sure, Lord, sure. Dimitri we'll talk- Nine. We'll talk about Dimitri Nine. The. Uh, the Soviet era cosmonaut monkey who, uh, who was the world's greatest assassin. He killed JFK. He killed, yeah, he killed pri- JFK. Pri- he, I am the chimpanzee who shot alpha primate Kennedy. So don't <laughs> fuck with me, man turd. One of the best lines ever written. And everything in the filth is just shit and cock and balls and cum and blood and shit turd fuck you like it is just this this celebration of everything depraved and awful 
in our society. And it's really wrapped up in where the UK was at that time because there's like there's a constant motif of like the closed CCTV cameras that are that are just all over London to this day. They're still all over London. And in a way now, like really it's it's more the world is more like that than ever. But also like the the pedophilia panic of the time is is brought in there because there's like a spot where Dimitri Nine shows up at Greg Feely's apartment and somebody thinks it's a little kid. So then the police come kicking his door. Yeah. You know what else? And it's, uh, you didn't mention this is that the hands idea, you know, uh, it's a status cue. There's another cue related thing that became popular a couple years ago. I'm starting to think I know what the hyper sigil of the filth actually accomplished. Oh, God. Ooh. Just a thought. Oh no! But, down. What did what did Status Q do? Yeah, write it out for me on a on a page uh, and well, sign it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about this site called 4chan and this oh, great American who used to post on there. <laughs> I, I I am curious because um I I read the filth a while ago, but both of you actually reread it um fairly recently, I believe. One thing I'm not sure of at all is, is this in the hyper sigil trilogy because it's exploring similar like narrative themes or did Grant actually think that, or rather did Grant say that this one had specific effects on his life too? Cause this obviously isn't like the same voodoo world kind of idea. Feely is not just Grant Morrison, though he is kind of Grant Morrison. I would say that whether intentional or not, I think the filth is absolutely you know what, maybe it, and, and I don't know for a fact if Morrison said, oh, this is part of my ongoing hyper sigil, but he does put it in the hyper sigil trilogy. And Greg Feely is definitely Morrison to a greater or lesser extent. And in a weird way, he is the, he is the, the sad face of the reality of what King Mob, what does King Mob look like 10 years after the end of The Invisibles? Max you know? Thunderstone. You know? Ooh, that, that's what I picked up is that like Max Thunderstone, the filth character is just a parody of what Morrison was trying to do with King Mob in the Invisibles. Just like, oh, here's this over the top superhero character who's going to save us all. Yeah, yeah, but He's actually just kind of ridiculous. Well, you know, in, in a weird way, though, right? That kind of makes sense, because what's even worse than that in this story, right? Because if, if my theory that I posited before that, you know, again, I know I made the joke about 9-11, but, like, think about, think about the world right after the Invisibles. You know, 2000 is just this kind of nothing year that blends into the world, except George Bush wins in America, and the Tories start coming back in England. 9-11 hits. The world just goes to shit. The new millennia, the 21st century that was supposed to be this beautiful thing that not just Grant was talking about, but that, you know, religious people for centuries and everyone has been pointing out, you know, the new, the new millennia, the year 2000, it's going to be this huge thing. And what is it? It's just horrifying. It's cameras in London. It's the war on terror. And if we're going with this idea that, you know, our King Mob fucking superhero guy that this character that was the fun one the one that could just blast the bad guys what happens to thunderstone at the end of it right thunderstone gets he becomes he, they use his body for the bad guy yeah i mean wait what spoiler uh, that yeah yeah that is a spoiler now the uh <laughs> but 
I, I'll, uh, the other thing I would, if I was going to compare, I'd say that Max Lenderstone is, is really like the Mason Lang character hmm. from the invisibles taken to its logical extreme. But the, uh, but you know, sure. Well, I mean, in, in the same way, it's, it's, it's Morrison's notion of a hero and sp- particularly of superheroes, you yeah. know? And the filth deals with the concept of superheroes as these sort of grand ideals, these sort of uh, paragons of virtue and, uh, sur- you know, superhumanity, not just in the idea of being powerful, but being uh, compassionate and, and trying to be the best that humans have to offer. And it really, and it, it's almost the notion of like, well, yeah, but that falls flat. Those things fall apart in our world because our world is what? It's the filth. It's the ugly. It's the, and that is what this, entire comic is about and i've said it multiple times but i'll say it on the show here the invisibles is the the bright shiny anarchist party to the uh to the end of the world it's an all-night psychedelic rave to to the apocalypse and where you think that we're all going to get out clean on the other side and it's going to be different it might be scary but it's going to be something amazing and the filth is waking up from that rave with the mother of all hangovers it's looking at the world and saying, you know what? We did not get the, uh, you know, it's the temporary autonomous zone being cleared out by the police is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why is there a chimpanzee in bed next to me? And why does he have a gun? Yeah. 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 And then he, he calls you turd human and kicks you out, you know, that's, and it's, and it's just, it's, and it's Morrison. And I think maybe in a, in this is maybe where the hyper sigil notion of it comes around. It's Morrison finding the solace in the ugly of the world and seeing everything that's depraved and awful and saying, well, what good is it? What, what is this about? Why, if we weren't getting to, uh, to paraphrase Alan Watts here, if we weren't getting to the golden goody at the end of history, what was it all for? What was the point of doing any of this? I won't go too far into spoilers as, uh, Greg and Ned struggle within themselves to figure out what's the point of all of this is, but I think he comes to the notion that the ugly, the the thing that you're warring against, the the Spartacus Hughes and the and whether I guess whether you look at the bad guys as the hand or if you look at at the bad guys as Spartacus Hughes, the the constant battling of order versus chaos creates a lot of really negative destructive things, but the beauty has to come out from there. You know, that the, the, you spread the filth on your flowers is the, the motif that the comic ends up landing on. I will, I will give you all one bit of information to pine over. Cause if you haven't read the filth, this is the secret key to it. And if you want to reread the filth, knowing this, you might pick up some things. Morrison in an interview with my chemical romance singer, and I guess umbrella Academy writer, Gerard Way said that the filth is a comic about me being sad and my cat dying. So yeah, that tracks. So make of that what you yeah. will. Are we good on the I filth? Think, then? Uh, Did we have more we were going to say. I just wish that Greg Philly had more hair. Like, I can't <laughs> identify with people that are bald. What is up with you guys and people being bald? It's not natural. It's not that big a deal. God damn. <laughs> In joke. Okay, I guess from that, here's a message from the hand.
over all earthly agencies. The hand gives and takes. The hand strikes. The hand signals. The hand caresses. The hand invokes. We enforce status cue the way it ends. We enforce it by removing and safely destroying all that is not status cue. We are the hand. Don't worry about it. Does anybody remember the name of the... I remember reading something about Morrison talking about the, the Hyper Sigil trilogy where originally there was going to be this third installment that he wrote that oh, he never yeah, actually yeah. got to make. Isn't that when he just was like, yeah, Flex Mentella is the, yeah, the third like, part. Well, I kind of already, he's like, no, it's like looking back at the Flex Mentello thing, this is kind of like, it's, I would put this as the third one because it touches on a lot of the things I was already going to talk about, but I don't remember the name of the canceled project or the, I don't know if canceled is even the word, but like think, project that just never got made. No, I know what you're talking about. I just like, I didn't know it even had a name. I just know that yeah. he was like, Oh, I'm going to do this thing. And the thing is, too, I, it doesn't really fucking matter, honestly, because like whatever he was planning on writing, it could have been completely fucking different by the time it actually got somewhere. Indes That's like how the filth starts man. out as a Nick Fury pitch for Marvel. <laughs> could you imagine that? Could you imagine that instead of the filth, we had gotten like Grant Morrison writing a Nick Fury book? Wouldn't have been nearly as good. Unless maybe like that would be that'd be weird. You could do like a weird thing where like Nick Fury has like a sleeper personality. That could be that would be dope. I'm going to I'm going to repitch this to Marvel and hope they didn't read the filth. Yeah, actually, it's called Indestructible Man. And it was um, it went unproduced. It was going to be the third part of the of an informal hyper sigil trilogy, including the invisibles in the filth. In 2004, Morrison stated the project was put on the back burner as Flex Mentallo, the Invisibles and the Filth, already formed a cohesive hyper-sigil trilogy, which is, uh, it's kind of weird to put, because like uh, Flex Mentallo, the last installment here, got published in 96, so kind of between. Concurrent with? Yeah, the Invisibles. Then, yeah, right? so kind of. I think it happened between, like, in the, one of the pauses between. I think between Volume One and Two. So full disclosure, I never read Flex Mentallo. Oh well, get out. Oh, all right. You kids have fun now. All right. Well, I'll try to go quick because uh, we've dedicated enough to this sort of hyper sigil trilogy, as it were. The Invisibles in itself has the the real bang for your buck ones where it's like oh yeah did this and like you know people that were reading it started reporting weird synchronicities and some very note like i i got a girlfriend that was basically a stand-in for a character i created and then i fucked up king mob and i got fucked up by it so i had to write my way out of it you know like these are all very like on the nose and the filth is more of like morrison dealing with the fallout of uh as you put it in a in a weird way it seemed almost like because the apocalypse didn't happen or the great awakening didn't happen or whatever, but because these things didn't come to full fruition, perhaps maybe there was the letdown or, or perhaps it was just the letdown of, uh, you know, life, I guess the, the idea of 
Yeah. You're not so young anymore. And the, this exciting anarchist dream maybe didn't pan out quite the way you thought it would or for whatever reason, but I'd still see the, uh, I'd still see the filth is very much like a hyper sigil, if, if nothing else, attempting to wrestle with the world and, and sort of try to, to use your comics as a magical means of, uh, inoculating yourself or in a way, uh, trying to use the comic medium as a, a means of magical interpolation of the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's but, trying to use art as something to help you understand the world itself. I think that's the difference between the invisibles and the filth. And again, I haven't read Flex Mentalo, so I can't really comment on it, but I can't help but feel that Grant is like shoehorning in another comic into what is really two series that are like polar opposites of each other in every way that show like Morrison's full journey here. The Invisibles, six years. I can't remember how many fucking issues going through all these fantastic ideas. This is Grant having the time of their life. And then after the ball drops on um, the two year 2000, and it turns out that we didn't get the amazing utopian psychic rave to end the world. How does Grant deal with that? A very short, brisk comic that shows you not only that the world as it exists now is as horrifying as anything that was in the invisibles, but also that there's beauty in it. And I'll point it out later when we talk a little more about grants, like specifically writing about magic. I think it represents a shift. You see where grant goes from talking about, let's say maybe utopian ideas and ideas of, um, personality and breaking down the us versus them kind of warring of self and he gets more focused on meaning okay okay yeah sure so but that said what the fuck is flex mentalo all right so flex mentalo is the hero of the beach (laughs) (laughs) this is the deepest comic i've ever heard in my life okay so short version uh in doom patrol they introduce a character named Flex Mentalo, who is like a parody of those, I was a nerd getting sand kicked in my face, and then I became a hunk with, you know, all I did was send in a stamp, and I got my my anchor arms, and I puffed them up, you know, whatever the hell Spongebob reference. I'm just like you, but then I grew a dick, a brain, and a heart. Yeah, so, and the point is, is that Flex Mentalo is a character that was brought to life by the psychic powers of the kid who drew him. And he has his own little spin-off miniseries that isn't actually connected to any of that. Or at the very least, you don't need to you don't need to read Doom Patrol for this to make any sense. It's what it's actually about is uh Flex Mentalo dealing with a shadowy organization of uh seemingly anarchists that begin leaving bombs in places, but they're not actual bombs. They just, uh, they, they just go off to show how fragile the system is and they're called faculty X and it's flex trying to uncover the secrets from them. And somehow in that there is a, uh, like an apocalypse that is going to happen and he needs to make contact with the Legion of Legions, which is like the greatest superheroes that have ever lived type thing. And uh, while this uh, very fantastical superhero story is going on, we are seeing, um, oh God, 
what is the what is the guy's name? Wally Sage. Thank you. Yeah, Wally Sage, who is is uh grappling with basically like a full blown psychotic breakdown. He takes a whole bunch of drugs after what I believe it's like he has a falling out with his girlfriend. He takes a whole bunch of drugs in his apartment and he calls uh like a Samaritan hotline of somebody just talking like somebody who's just gonna talk to him while he's waiting for the end. Oof. And meanwhile, his consciousness is basically splitting between him talking on the phone to what Flex is doing, and he's reminiscing about growing up reading comic books and what those kind of did to his psyche and how comics and superheroes were these paragons of of uh of justice and virtue and everything being right with the world and at the same time almost like his shame of like I used to think these things were so important and nothing really matters and what am I even doing with my life sort of thing and it it's a very deep where it's the the impression I always get reading it is that it's like the story that flex is going on with is is just a a trip through Wally's psyche as he's you know again coming up on a bunch of drugs and also possibly dying and everything else but the crux of the narrative, as it were, comes down to Morrison's ideas about superheroes and that for him, superheroes are uh, these things that exist in the imagination, but they are trying to call out to us. They are trying to bring, bring themselves from the imagination into our world so that we can be like them. If anybody's familiar with super gods, that is sort of Morrison's personal view. If I'm local, cut me off if I'm wrong here. So it's like archetype stuff, yeah. Like, hey, Superman can show up and solve all my problems. <laughs> what? Oh, I man, mean, I'm sorry, just the way you put that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I don't think it'd be wrong to say that Morrison's view is archetypal. Like that's that's his bag. What I mean, you know, if you really want to cut it, like Morrison's idea is that like Mercury and Ganesha and Odin and the Flash are all expressions of the same thing, and how that relates specifically to superheroes, I think, is probably where Flex Mentalo is about going. Right? Is what you're telling me. Yeah, I, I I think Flex Mentello really leans heavily into the archetype phenomenon. Like he he's like they're superheroes and they are gods and and they exist sort of within like the psychic conscious structure of things. Which again, par for the course. That's kind of what Morrison's bag is like. You know, everyone's got the big magic idea that they like to explain things with. You know, like. Peter Carroll has um, Kia and Chaos that he took from Spare. Morrison's is that like everything's the big collective super consciousness of the singular organism kind of thing going on. He just wants to say that like all of these things exist in our brains or in our minds and that all, all yeah. of our minds are like connected. Um, hang on real quick because I don't think either of you actually said it. Wally Sage, that's like the guy that made Flex Mentallo. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. The, yeah, and it's because it, it gets tied up in Doom Patrol where it's like he's uh 
he made comics as a kid and then he sort of has psychic abilities that bring them and bring them to life. And it's, yeah, I remember this from doom patrol and stuff, but like, is it, is it the same character? Cause I thought he died or something. Well, it's like he is, but the problem is, is that this mini series doesn't really take place in the same continuity and it just sort of, yeah, what it, it acknowledges doom patrol, but it doesn't, it's not specifically like I am taking place in this universe. And the idea of like, because he even mentions like, oh yeah, Wally Sage brought me to life. But then it's like, it's still very much that like this is happening in this sort of psychic space comic world that's going on in Wally's head as he's uh, going through the the unaliving attempt. Mm. And as he's going on, he's like, it's dealing with like the idea of parallel realities. And it's the idea that like all these superheroes were real, but then the great... um like this great Armageddon type thing of collapsing all of these different realities. So they escape into the imagination where they can come back again and awaken humanity. And again, it, it falls into this sort of almost apocalyptic thing where it's the idea of uh, the world as we know it is going to end, but we'll, you know, we're, we're going to get clean out on the other side and we're all going to be superheroes. You know, there's, they keep mentioning the, uh, the secret word, that is, it's it's very Shazam like, but it's not actually Shazam. Where it's a uh, a guy gets a crossword puzzle, and then the last word on it is supposed to be this the secret word that God said to breathe life into the universe. And if he does it, he'll be you know like a superhero, God among men type thing. Okay. Yeah, and and at the end, at the end, Wally gets it, and like you know, he says the word, and everything's shining and brilliant, and there's superheroes filling up the sky, sort of thing. And it deals with. It, like said, the art like it is the archetype thing. It's the idea that superheroes are the modern stand-ins for what we would call the gods, you know, and that's that's part of why I say that Morrison's occult work is inseparable from their comic work because whenever we talk about coyotes doing like pop culture magic, you know, I, I don't always think that people come to it with the same thing that like when Morrison talks about. You know, you can call up Ares, but you can call him up in the guise of Orion from the New Gods. You know, because for Morrison, they're they're the same thing. You know, they're they're it's like it's obvious that they're the same thing because that's how they've always come at it, or at least as they got into the woo woo. You know, it it made logical sense. You know, uh, Superman is the sun god. Yeah, it's the okay. it's the he. Yeah, they use the same coat of paint. Like yeah, yeah, you just. It's 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 dressing for the same sort of thing, and it deals with Morrison's notions of the imagination as that doorway into these magical realms. Which, in in weird ways, you know, that's that's where Alan Moore comes from with magic as the this sort of magic as the science of this imagination, this backdrop for all of these fantastical things are within the human creative faculty. I think in a lot of ways, most people don't. I think even like, you know, psych people that are like, oh, this is all like, you know, psychodrama sort of stuff, or even people that are just materialist, whatever is like, they would look at this and say, it's like, okay, I can kind of see the three lines of logic. It's only when Morrison goes out into the weirder stuff of like, well, yeah, but this comic I'm working on can bleed into reality <clears throat> and into the brick and mortar, as we think of it, that uh, people start going, oh, man, that's a little out there. Ultimately, and, and this, is, this is where I critique Lex Mentolo a little bit as being part of this hyper-sigil trilogy where it's like, yeah, it, it sort of fits, and it fits a little better maybe if you put it at the front. 
you know. Mm. But even even in like I would say that it's interesting because Flex Mentalo in that sort of optimistic yet apocalyptic way about superheroes where it's like, yeah, we're all going to get clear on the other side and the superheroes are going are going to come back to wake us all up and save us, you know, as long as you believe in magic. And there is there is a moment that is sort of like the filth in that uh Wally is going through this like everything is awful and I'm ashamed of myself and I'm ashamed of the world. I can see that. Um, there's a line where it's like only a, only a, a teenager would mistake pessimism for realism. That line always kind of stuck with me. Mm. There's interesting parallels with that and the filth where it's, it's neat because it's like the filth parallels nice with flex Mentalo because the filth brings up superheroes and the idea of like, well, yeah, superheroes fall apart in our world because it's fucked. And then meanwhile, in Flex Mentalo, it's like, yeah, well, they don't stand up, but we need to bring them in and they'll, they'll show us how to, to, to fly with them, you know? Uh, so there's that interesting duality there. And then with the invisibles and the filth of, you know, the, the, the difference between the invisible cells and the archons and then like the hand, the different faces of that warring of order and chaos. But there isn't a whole lot in the way of like where Flex Mentalo and the invisibles link up. Oh no! Yeah, no, that yeah, they do because they're both apocalyptic tales. That's the that's the point of them. But they don't. I would say, but they don't like they don't parallel very well. Maybe they, I guess they can parallel in that sense, but they don't they don't juxtapose each other very well. I don't have things where I can look at Flex Mentalo and the Invisibles. And, and the other thing is like Flex Mentalo is like four issues, something like that. No, it's it's short as hell, which is part of the. I guess maybe that part of it is they just don't have as much to go on. Yeah, as far as and well. I, I think the only way you can really justify putting Flex Mentalo in there is if you're Grant Morrison and you said it fits. Well, yeah, exactly. I I said I said a thing, and what I say is true. So get on it. What I think it is is that it's almost exploring this idea from three different angles. We'll say the Invisibles is the 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 voodoo world, the holographic universe. You know, I can make the world conform to the comic that I'm writing. And we'll say the filth is more about like a sort of interiority sort of thing. It's like an in- internal thing where this is a comic that Grant Morrison is writing so they can deal with the real world. And then Flex Mentalo is a is itself a it's the concept within a comic because it's about like a guy bringing a comic into the real world and how it's a reflection of his own internal psychic states and everyone's internal conscious states. You got a splash of the invisibles apocalyptic. Everything's going to be all mm. right. Vision, mm. I suppose maybe. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, that's the best I got. I, I think the real answer again is Grant Morrison didn't get to write a third book and he was like, well, you know, the flex Mantello. Yeah, that'll work. Sort of how like the Phil- Philip K. Dick has, the um the Valis and um oh god fucking Christ um the the trilogy of his last work that they try to throw in fucking um uh the um um Ubik Valis and there was supposed to be a third one in this trilogy but because he dies oh the yeah but because he dies they go um well you can put the transmigration of timothy archer in there it's like it's not actually a third in the trilogy but you can do it and it it probably makes him sell better how many people were buying flex mentallo until he was like oh yeah that's the other invisible book yep definitely well 
Well, nobody was buying it because Charles Atlas sued them. So, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Like, what? You're turning the hero of the beach into Superman? No, thank you, sir. <laughs> so, do you, you have any thoughts on Flex that I I didn't touch on? Hey, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Flex Mantello was very handsome in Doom Patrol. Um, <laughs> that mustache. All right. I don't have any Flex Mentallo references, so do you want to do one? Um, here's an ad from The Hoaxer. Smell that fresh coffee? That light, bready baking? That sizzling bacon? It can only mean one thing. You've been hoaxed by The Hoaxer! Yes, while your brain was conjuring a complete breakfast, The Hoaxer stole something out of your room. Good luck figuring out what it was. The hoaxer. All right. So we ran through the hyper sigil trilogy. We touched on some of Grant's ideas in magic and we kind of talked about what a hyper sigil even is. So I guess we need to talk about what Grant Morrison's actual thoughts on magic are, right? Do we? <laughs> I mean, we don't have to. We could end the episode here. I thought we were comics magic news. Oh, Damn. yeah. Ah, shit. That still has magic in it. Never mind. Wait, Grant Morrison's a magician? <laughs> yeah. He pulled, you didn't see him pull a quarter out of your ear while you were reading? Or? Oh, my God. Oh, that's he pulled okay. something out of my ear. <laughs> Put something in your ear. Oh my god. Grant Morrison okay. gave me a wet willy while I was trying to read Luda and it ruined the whole thing for me. <laughs> no, I read the first couple pages of Luda. It wasn't that. So anyway, Grant Morrison believes in magic. What a nerd. <laughs> so Grant Morrison's ideas on magic, right? They seem to be, again, mostly influenced by the same kind of people we're influenced by. Shocker. He specifically mentions Robert Anton Wilson. Peter Carroll and the Chaos Magic people quite a bit. He also references Crowley because you can't be a magician in the modern age and not talk about Crowley at least a little bit. And you especially can't be, I almost said English, but he's Scottish. I'm trying to think of the term for it. I don't know. You can't be like um, an English-speaking European and not talk about Aleister Crowley if you're an occultist. You probably can't be a European and not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. At any rate, um. Morrison's ideas definitely seem to come from there, but I think what's interesting about Morrison is that either a Morrison is way more comfortable with giving hard and fast ideas of magic that maybe people like Peter Carroll or people like Robert Anton Wilson would say are a um, better left is just models. But Grant definitely seems to believe these things because they are things that have remained consistent in his explanations of magic and, you know, other related areas like his thoughts on gods and stuff like that. That stuff has stayed pretty consistent since he started talking about this stuff. For instance, in... I had it, then I lost it. Had it, then I lost it. There we go. All right, cool. So, for instance, in in Pop Magic, the text we were referencing earlier, he has a section called Chatting Up the Gods where he pretty much verbatim talks about what we were talking about during the Flex Mentello bit. Except this for the moment. There are big ideas in the world. They were big 
before we were born and they'll still be big long after we're moldering. Anger is one of those ideas and love is another. Then there's fear or guilt. So to summon a God, one has only to concentrate on that God to the exclusion of all other thought. Let's just say you wish to summon the big idea communication in the form of the God Hermes so that he will grant you a silver tongue. Hermes is the Greek personification of wit, art, and spelling, and the qualities he represents were embodied by the classical artist in the symbol of an eternally swift and naked youth, fledged with tiny wings and dressed only in streamers of air. Hermes is a condensation into pictorial form, a sigil, in fact, of an easily recognizable default state of human consciousness, which is essentially what we were talking about with Flex Metallo. It's the same idea. What Morrison sees superheroes as is the same thing that he sees the gods as here. They're all big ideas, as he puts it. And that maybe could better be described as like archetypes, because I don't think I maybe idea in like the platonic sense or something. But the point is, it, it definitely isn't like as simple as maybe an emotion. It's not quite like anger when you get angry is itself the thing. Maybe it's an expression. It's a part of it. Morrison seems to think that there's anger out there or in there in the big cosmic consciousness that you can go and talk to and deal with in a certain way as and all you need are these different kind of masks and that's something that i think is pretty common to a lot of magic adjacent people already like Jungians are big on this sort of thing and it's a common idea in chaos magic now but I don't think people that were influencing Grant would be as willing to say stuff like that. Bob Wilson would probably say that, like, that's a really interesting model and it's a cool way of looking at it. But I think he would probably say, well, you know, at the you're you're really you're you're coming up with a lot of ideas here that we can be very skeptical about. And Peter Carroll would probably say that that's he would he'd just call it psychological model and move on, wouldn't he? To to push back on you just a little bit. Carol is the one that suggested that every pantheon was a, a psychocosm. So I, I'm, I'm not sure he would completely throw the, the, the baby out with the bathwater on that statement. But yeah, yeah. no, maybe you're right there. I, I think they would both definitely get along with the idea of uh, gods being representative of human faculty. So point being that this is an idea that Morrison has had with him since the invisibles, I think. Probably, probably before, probably before, but, it, and it's something that if you go and hear him talking about magic, like two years ago at, with a uh, Douglas Ruskoff or whatever, like he's still holding on to that idea. That's, that's not something that's left him yet. I remember uh, it's the Omega Institute talk, I think, or maybe it is the disinfo, but either way he describes it as like humans maybe aren't as complicated as we like to think we are, or, or at the very the very least, there's like these sort of basic operating systems that we all can default into. And those are in a way that is the psychological end of like what the gods are. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not faulting if that's it's that's the way you're going with it. That's the way you're going with it. But the uh, I do think it's interesting that he describes that it's like, you know, Hermes is a condensation into pictorial form, a sigil. In fact, that's something that I guess I picked up from him a long time ago. I don't. <laughs> I, I tend to fall back on the idea that most, if not all, forms of magic that we talk about are really just sigils. If, if you do a love spell that involves, like, pricking an onion, it's like, well, all right, sure, that's, what is that? It's, uh, it's symbolized intent. That's a sigil. Right. I think that's, 
Oh, don't yeah, don't agree with me. People have people got mad when I said that a couple times. <laughs> so people well, just like, like, like what it's, it's definitely f- a consistent idea. I think that's why we got the term hyper sigil instead of voodoo comic. Right. Um, like, yeah. It, for that, like Morrison, it's like, yeah, everything's a sigil. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, this idea of these um operating systems, right, that gets into the other big thing. I guess we're going to go maybe a little a chronologically here, but it's, you know, these are all this is all still early post invisibles magic writing of Morrison. You know, pop comes from disinfo and at disinfo con is about what I'm going to reference. He has this huge idea that he wants to bring forward and i think again maybe this is like what he's getting at in the end of with the invisibles i think that's really what he was trying to get at and its failure is sort of part of the problem that morrison's grappling with now in his writing there's morrison's presenting this idea that the individual as the unit of society or the ego as the main identifier of self is the big thing to overcome in the world. Now, what Morrison proposes is again, with these sorts of big ideas that, you know, Hey, you can go summon the idea of communication. And by doing these sorts of rituals and focusing on these and using these symbols, you can bring aspects of those into yourself. And what he's suggesting you do with that is start not only doing that and getting all of these different aspects, but start doing it with like whole personalities. Morrison essentially wants you to cultivate like multiple personality and have like a, instead of having a singular personality, having a personality constellation. And that also touches a lot on what Morrison is getting at in his idea of writing. We all know that the invisibles is about King mob and King mob is Grant Morrison, but when you ask Morrison, Morrison will tell you that every single member of the Invisibles is an aspect of him, that he's every single one of them, that all the bad guys are him, that everybody that he wrote in that comic is him. Yeah, and that's uh, a, a slight spoiler, but that's definitely, like you said, what the end of the Invisibles is, uh, is hinting at or not so subtly hinting at is the notion that the, the scaffolding around the building that is the, the individual becomes a a cage a prison we 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 do all this effort building this personality that eventually just becomes a a hurdle and it creates this illusion of separateness and that we can't that all these things that we say that's not me that's not me just turn around and become all the things that we spend our lives battling against i think that is in a lot of ways what morrison suggests the the benefit of magic is is that it's able you're able to aside from the 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 obvious like you can do thing you can do sigils to make things happen but also the notion of uh by doing these particularly the type of stuff he's talking about of messing with these sort of human operating systems you are able to tap into the the greater plurality of human experience and that's why uh especially in later interviews he does ho- seem to hold very strongly that the idea is that the the goal or the objective of the the magician is not to battle against people; it's to to understand them. I remember there's a I don't remember the the actual inter, the I don't remember the name of the interview that he was doing, but they they're talking to him about the alt right, and they say something to the effect of you know it's not our job to fight with them because it's not you know all it's going to do is 
when you fight with them, you just make it worse. You just got to try to understand them. And I don't necessarily agree with that take, but I, <laughs> it's consistent. Interesting because, um, well, here, let me go to this next thing that I wanted to talk about to show the development of Grant Morrison's magical thoughts. But we'll come back to that one because I have something interesting that I heard today about that. Getting away from the DisinfoCon era, which is markedly about those two ideas, right? It's the big ideas are the gods that superheroes are representations of that. And you can interact with these sorts of aspects of your own personality and like the collective personality all by engaging in magic. His big idea that he wants now is to tear down the scaffolding of the singular self and have constellations of personality, which makes sense. It's that sort of anarchist um, networking sort of thing applied to like personality. Kind of cool. But a couple years from that down the line, you know, this is after the filth. This is after the come down of the great utopian rave that we didn't get. Grant Morrison is the editor-in-chief of a magazine at the time called Heavy Metal. Rep Heavy Metal, by the way, it got shut down this year. Oh, no. But Heavy Metal was a, a, it was a magazine that put out illustrations, mostly comics. And, you know, it did, like, serialized kind of stuff. It's cool. But in one issue, Grant decides to just talk to you about magic. And he writes a really interesting article that, as you will come to find by reading what Grant has to say about magic, repeats itself from previous times ad nauseum. You know, you mentioned the, um, the, the Omega Institute. I'll just be frank. The lecturer for DisinfoCon, his talk at the Omega Institute, and Pop Magic in the DisinfoCon Book of Lies all have basically the same information, and they even follow roughly the same format. Like, there's different things here and there, but they're mostly the same talk. Whereas in Heavy Metal, we get more repetition, but we have an interesting development that I, I think further points to Grant's slow turn towards more and more psychological explanations of things, but also a distinct shift from what we were talking about before, that magic is real and it works and you should get rid of your personality and have a bunch of them. And instead, we get to... It's presented as like a Q&A sort of thing. So we get the question, what is this magic you speak of? By the way, he's gone from spelling magic as like magic with a K and then, you know, magic with a J to now it's magic, but the I is an exclamation point. So branding, I guess. Oh, that's but cool. Marketing. We occultists, we just love it when you can spell a word like as many different ways as possible. What is this magic of which you speak? Magic equals meaning, or to put it another way, life plus significance equals magic. Can you elaborate? Mind confers meaning upon matter. Mind is nourished and sustained by the meaning it assigns to matter. Matter is elevated and ennobled to magic by the meaning mind attributes to it. It's a winning transaction, an erotic snake dance, and a slinky menage a trois that makes the world go round and round and up and down. So I, I, I think the interesting thing there is that we definitely hadn't heard Morrison talk about meaning so much, right? What we heard a whole lot of Morrison telling us was that if you do sigils, you can get stuff like get a girlfriend. And when yeah. you're done doing that, then you can try to do stuff to make the world a better place. <laughs> yeah. How you're going to make the world a better place, I'm not quite sure. Maybe you're supposed to like get five of your friends, get four of your friends and go attack the local uh, school board. But 
the point is it, it definitely wasn't that doing magic will make your life feel meaningful maybe that was the goal maybe that was like the the hidden part but he actively starts talking about meaning because it's not just in that little area there's another part right here where he makes kind of a big deal about meaning and this is also something that at this point he's repeating because i heard a talk from him from like 11 months ago and he talked he brought it up again there are more things in heaven and earth than can be counted locked in a drawer kissed or beaten into unconsciousness not everything we know to be real is amenable to weighing and measuring we speak not of supernatural entities for which we can offer no proof of existence outside of our prodigious imaginations and capacity for invention instead we refer to far more interesting ghosts which immaterial they may be are irrefutably real we may conjure up for instance the prominent ghost in william shakespeare's blockbusting hamlet not the wraith of hamlet's dad who turns up all inciting incident and vengeful like in the first act but the genuine non-material presence which haunts the play and illustrates my point i'm talking about the meaning of the text the soul of hamlet in our undeniably mechanistic universe what is the weight in ounces or tons of the meaning of hamlet the truth is that not one of the many meanings of Hamlet can be squeezed, frozen, heated, photographed, or used as a tool to construct a table, and yet it's impossible to deny that this entity, this meaning of Hamlet, exists. The meaning of Hamlet cannot be exercised by the empirical science by the dint of lacking mass or velocity. What, then, is the nature and the substance, the objective reality of the meaning of Hamlet? And, you know, just based on what you know about Grant Morrison, what would you say it is? It's... It's kind of the same thing he was talking about with superheroes, right? But it's got this dimension now where instead of it being that these are big ideas or like they're operating systems, it's that there is some sort of aspect of meaningfulness that all of these things have. And that's what magic is about. It's about dealing with what is meaningful and how it can appear as meaningful. Very simple thing to say, but it kind of shows the shift of Morrison being like, magic is real, and you can change the whole damn world with it, to magic is real, and it's how life is meaningful. And I'll, uh, let, me, let me loop this back into the, the hyper sigil thing, too. Um, I think, in a way, maybe the invisibles represented a bit of the, uh, the high magic of like, oh, man, I can mess around with the comic book and make my life different. Maybe at some point that sort of fell on, fell on its face. I don't know. Or maybe, uh, or maybe things started to get recontextualized, uh, a bit like how Robert Anton Wilson had a lot of crazy shit happen in cosmic trigger one, and then got the Holy guardian angel and then spent the rest of his life trying to get rid of it. That sort of thing. If you read the filth and then you listen to what Morrison was saying around the time, as far as like, I believe the Omega Institute thing happens right around that same time. He's talking a lot like the idea of the, that we have all this bacteria in us that outnumber the human cells like 10 to one that shows up in the filth. And then he also says it in that lecture. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then he recontextualizes. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Morrison claims that he was abducted by, he says like abducted by aliens, but what he, he really talks to is like, they're like these mercurial hyperdimensional beings that showed him what the universe looked like on the outside sort of thing. And it was like one fluent hyper organism, like the mitochondria that started at the beginning of life. That's now branched off into a billion eyes. But then he later recontextualizes that as uh, he had said he had an experience or, or like thinking back to that experience uh, that he, he thought he might have 
been experiencing the interiority of a cell. So we're going from this sort of macrocosmic to microcosmic where he, and that's when he also starts talking about like the human operating systems and nervous, nervous system events. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, all right, I'm going to externalize the magical experience where it's voodoo holographic universe splinter that I can manipulate. Then it becomes about internalizing the whole thing. And he internalizes it in a a psychological, but also a biological way Mm -hmm. when he gets past that, which is like, makes me think like, man, maybe we really should have gotten this third installment of the hyper sigil trilogy, something that he could have knocked it around with because now he starts talking about it in terms of redacted, redacted, redacted. I'm going to hit record again. I mean, Damn, I was, around, so everything's getting recorded, but you might need to restart that co-host. So I was telling the truth, and they silenced me. <laughs> well, I was, I was, was bothered with what you were saying. I like. was telling the truth, and they didn't like it. Holy fuck. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it just had a little blip. I don't know. That was weird. Everyone, everyone got kicked, though, Kennedy. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway. Co-host, we'll have to start again from telling the truth. I was uh, telling the truth, and they had to silence me. Bastards. You see a notable progression from the invisibles to the filth, and then like, I, I almost wish we got this third installment where maybe they went into detail of where they were at a little bit later because it becomes about things that are neither uh, magic's ability to overthrow the material world or the strange biological inner underpinnings of magical experience and instead it becomes about the things that are not quantifiable it's the experiential end of magic the ghost of hamlet isn't something that you can poke and prod but you can feel it you understand it on a a lived experience you know and the idea of like try as we might to reduce Things like love and anger to like, oh, those are just chemicals pumping through meat. They don't, it doesn't really stick. Nobody ever really goes down with all of that, except the, probably the most cynical among us. Definitely not magic people. Yeah, definitely not. What we're left with is uh, Morrison looking at magic as, or magic as a way of conferring significance and meaning onto the world. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting progression where a lot of things that they say do hold strong, particularly in, in the, the notions of method. You know, how do you call up a god? It's like, oh, well, surround yourselves with the, with the bells and smells of them, the, 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 the images, the, the music, the songs, and stuff like Just that. Just get and rid try of to... anything that doesn't make you get down with whatever god you're associating with. That's the whole mm-hmm. point. You want to yeah. summon John Lennon, cover your room with Beatles posters, put on your fucking Beatle boots, get your guitar, and start playing love me do until your brain falls out yeah exactly uh, to go a little further in this uh this heavy metal thing morrison has that neat little formula and you said that they talk about they talk about this like to this day pretty much well yes but there there's a slight there's a ever so slight shift further down that we have to talk about and it, it, that kind of goes back to this idea that we keep bringing up with morrison where you know, again, we're not trying to judge him here, but I think Morrison is disappointed with how things went. And I wouldn't think that if I didn't listen to a talk today where he talks to Douglas Rushkoff. If, if you don't know who that is, he's a media theorist and he's got a lot of crazy ideas. He was also at that same big lecture at DisinfoCon and they're homies, apparently. 
about three years ago in, you know, 2020. And um, they both basically say the same thing that they're like, wow, yeah, I thought we were going to get, you know, the eternal utopian rave throughout the rest of the world. And then like 9-11 happened and then everything collapsed. And look at us now. They, they both make this point. I remember saying at that lecture that the counterculture won and now it was time to bring everyone else into the counterculture. And then not only did it not work, but now the, the right wingers are the ones doing the magic and they're, they're better at it than we were. And Morrison very actively nods his head. and is like, yeah, you know, they, they're fucking, they figured it out how they were doing this. It's like, and, but Morrison does make the point that he feels like it failed because, and this is a criticism that I'm sure many, many people have heard about like the, the predominance of progressive and left-wing values is that they started to serve a completely different purpose than what was going on there. The point being is that Morrison and even, you know, the people I guess he respects as thinkers all seem to have this feeling that what they were trying to do failed and they're not really sure why. What Morrison does seem to be pointing out though is that he thinks that his idea of the, um, the kicking away of the personality scaffolding was still a good idea, but it he's also seems to be struggling with how the hell you manage to welcome in these people. If you can't have enemies, how do you deal with your enemies? You know, he talks about, um, how we live in a world that seems to be even more predominated by like the authoritarian personality. He talks about how Donald Trump like is a radical. He's like, he's a magical thinker. Like he, that's the world he lives in. He, he believes that if he just says something that his will will exert its force over the material world. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to think that like Grant Morrison has this view now that all of this shit failed. And his solution seems to be yet another variation on what he was talking about before, because not only is it now that we need to have the constant, you know, we need to have the constellation of personalities, personality system, uh, personality plus, as he called it in the disinfo lecture. He thinks that the only solution now is like further decentralizing and networking. What Grant wants is like everyone connected online and everyone dealing with each other and there being no centralized authority, which is a guy, again, at least it's consistent with the sort of beliefs he was going with. But, you know, maybe, maybe to a point he's even saying that like what I was trying to do was wrongheaded because like, I'm a, I, I'm like a popular comic book writes Batman and shit. I can't be the person to like make a revolutionary action like this. Mm. The most interesting development from him magically is actually Luda. Having heard him giving like a talk before the book or um, having giving a talk promoting the book, I was I was definitely fascinated because he explained glamour as a, an idea magically in a way that I hadn't heard of before. And he relates it to all sorts of things. He relates it to superheroes. He relates it to um, the power of knowledge and literacy in society at a time when it didn't have that. And he even relates it to like the trans experience. It's very interesting. Just this idea of being able to present things in a certain light. And that being like the central idea of what art 
and performance and ultimately magic is about using the the drag metaphor of course you know it's like putting on all this makeup and the 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 face of the makeup becoming more real than the face that's under it which is apparently why the cover of the book is like face just a little bit there um and and he talks about it in relation to superheroes obviously someone in the audience actually asked brought up the idea that like well yeah it's like you know how batman's face is like the real Bruce Wayne and you know Bruce Wayne's really Batman. No, no, it's like it's it's more than that. It's that both of them are him. Sometimes sometimes the Bruce Wayne face is on, sometimes it's the Batman face. So he's still trying to promote this idea of this personality constellation system sort of thing. But he he definitely seems to have at least the the new idea now that it's not just um it's not just um or maybe it even maybe it really is just a, a further extrapolation of his sigil idea cuz if we come down to the idea that everything's a sigil then your alternate personalities and such are manifested that are manifested in that sort of way that the aesthetics of it the can be the thing that brings it about i don't know i thought that was interesting i just I guess it kind of pales in comparison to the fact that I basically called out Grant Morrison for being disillusioned with what he created. <laughs> it's a hard one to follow, you know? Yeah, really I, I wish I had a follow-up to that. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, and the the notion, uh, having actually read L- Luda, the, the notion of glamour as the... Um, <clears throat> the false face that is perhaps more real than the real face, the idea of bringing significance and meaning into, into the image that somehow transcends or, or, or overpowers the commonplace reality. You know, those are ideas that are very present in the book. And those are ideas that are very useful in magic. And I, I guess uh, props to Morrison for not letting that disillusionment turn into bitterness or pessimism about the state of everything, because, you know, Luda doesn't come across to me like that. And Nothing Morrison has made in the past couple of years screams, oh, everything's a fuck, you know. But I, I could definitely see it. I, I could definitely understand. I think Morrison just at this point thinks that there are the adults in the room. He's used that term. You know, the grownups, the, the billionaires who control everything and make things happen and stuff. And we're never going to be able to stop them. They're just too powerful. So the only thing we can do is try to build around them so we can get out from under them. And I think that's at least something that Morrison has been consistent on. I think the, the difference being that Morrison thought we could do it by having the eternal utopian rave. And when that didn't work, now he's not really sure how the hell we can do it beyond, I don't know, the internet. Like I said, he wants to create like networks of decentralized such and such, but you know, it, that's the same thing that anarchists have always been saying. So it's not like temporary. It's not really a new zones. idea. It's more of it's sort of like a we we didn't do it good enough last time. Yeah, and it's well, and I think maybe part of it could go back to the Invisibles. Uh, spoiler alert for the ending of the Invisibles. You uh, you see that the archons of the Outer Church control ninety percent of the machine, and that ten percent of the machine is always out of control and kind of goes on like that forever and that's the point and i guess maybe in a to to look at the filth you know the hand is always going to be there to clean up the muck and keep the status quo going but there are 
slight variations and changes and things do attempt at least to get better over time. You look at all of the ugliness and you, you want to say that it's like, oh, this is all I want. I just wanted this to make sense. I wanted there to be a reason and it's just shit. And then it says, well, you know what you, you spread the shit on your flowers. It's uh, it's very much a, a feeling of compromise and a feeling of uh, something that you could easily turn into defeat or despair. And it's very much trying to just find the little bit of, of optimism or hope or beauty in the world that is exponentially fucked. And I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's an acceptable answer, you know, <laughs> I think for, and I don't mean this to criticize Grant. I really don't for someone like Grant who has gotten to write every, pretty much every comic they want and will more or less always be financially secure and comfortable and gets to go on late night TV shows, hawking their new book. Saying, oh, well, you know, we've just got to hold on to the op, we got to hold on to the good things. It's probably very easy. Or it's maybe not very easy, but it's easier. His cat did still die. It's not that bad things haven't had. There's probably things that have happened to Morrison that would just put me in the hospital with a flesh eating virus. Yeah, with a flesh eating virus and a collapsed lung. You know, it's, it's just that thing of like comfortable artists can see that things are fucked and be like, that's, that's awful and then not have solutions, and then they can go back to just keep making art and being like, oh, things are fucked. Maybe the reason that the utopian anarchist dream didn't come through is because capitalism does the thing that it does, where it will put a bumper sticker on it and figure out how to commodify rebellion. That's kind of what it's, what it's very good at in terms of culture. You know, it, it can turn rebellion into uh, into a price tag. Yeah, I think that's that's what Morrison, I think, was talking about when he says that this sort of, you know, the counterculture won, but it's no longer it was no longer serving the original purpose. And I think that's like, in a way, that's the sort of the legacy of the chaos magic era to begin with. Right. We we all started doing this sort of thing to find an escape from, you know, the horrors of the modern world, but we couldn't go to like traditionalism. We couldn't just go become good Christians or Sufis or whatever, or Buddhist even. We couldn't just do that. And it was, it was, we wanted to do something that was going to be able to change the way the world was because we thought the world was malleable. And, you know, at this point, what do you have? You have like Peter Carroll doing the Knights of Chaos thing. And Gordon White being like a crazed anti-vaxxer and Grant Morrison, who would rather do adaptations of Brave New World than write another comic about the ideas of revolutionary magic, which kind of a downer. I'm sorry, folks. I didn't mean to get so sad about it, but I think that's that's the interesting thing about Morrison. And that's what led us all here to begin with. Except local, local, local really liked Superman Blue. Yeah, I, I love Superman Blue. <laughs> but yeah, like, um, after a certain point, when you're the counterculture, if you win, then you become culture, I guess. So, yeah. like, the, like, now you're the authority, and so obviously people are going to rebel against you. And it's just like a, it's like, a cycle, I guess. 
yeah it's well you know maybe morrison's more right than we thought because it's it's the same shit it's the fucking you ha it's the 10 percent of the machine that you never actually get or i mean i fuck i guess even in a way it's you, you know you what happens is you get to go be the invisibles and you wake up the next day and you're like ah fuck i'm not george freely turns out i'm the fucking evil archon this whole fucking time i guess the question turns into like you know, if if that's the point, like, then do we just say fuck it? And instead of worrying about any of this magic stuff, we we talk about how weird Final Crisis was. <laughs> oh, Lord, I've never read Final Crisis. Ah, man, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much of it. It's, I can't read uh... 3,000 tie-ins. <laughs> I've got a job. <laughs> I have bills. <laughs> I can't buy this many comic books. It takes up my entire garage. In a way, too, to, to now not attack Morrison, now not to defend Morrison, but that is also the... And, you know, you could call it capital. You could, you could throw this on capitalism, or you could just throw it on, you know, any system would... Any system still has the requirement of people need to eat. We have to find those compromises of how we're going to get along in the world. And, you know, we all... We don't have the luxury of dropping everything and going and just uh living in the jungle or something like that i don't know we don't get to we don't get to just drop it all and be like all right i'm gonna just dedicate my life to rebelling against the system and it's like some people i i, I in this this big insane off the rails world we live in some people that's their only option i suppose and i well, well i mean some people just do it because that's, I, I don't know they, it's more important to them that they spend their life in opposition to things that they are in opposition to than to have any sort of comfortable life. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. That's the way back when we talked about um, that the forgotten lessons of chaos magic, right? Yeah. We talked about that sort of, and we brought up, you know, Younger's uh, forest rebel idea, but it's also the Cornell West thing. You know, it's like sometimes you can, you can be too in rebellion. Sometimes you got to stop, you know, drink a glass of water, wash your ass. It's not something that you can just look at and immediately go oh well obviously the answer is this you know the fact that decades that there there are people that are much I, you know i'm comfortable with saying people that are much smarter than everyone in this conversation looking at their actions from past decades and going man where did we go wrong you're not going to come up with the answer tonight you know uh, not tonight you've been drinking uh, too much i might be able to come up with an answer <laughs> Yeah, I'm built different, so I'm a top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a power bottom, so y'all guys can. You can suck my butt. Y'all can mount me. <laughs> and and I believe we talked about this during the anniversary episode where we were discussing my my dislike for a lot of Luda. I I do personally think that. For me, some of the spell of Grant Morrison has worn off over the years, particularly as I've, one, I've delved deeper into philosophy and politics and also delved deeper into magic, where things that seemed revolutionary and new and like, oh, this is obviously, like, this is what's going to get thing, this is what's going to get me over, no longer hold that, that luster, you know? And I still enjoy Morrison's work looked at the filth again and flex mentalo and you know the invisibles i i think those are you know and i also really still love a lot of uh morrison's just you know super guys beating up baddies you know i i, I do i love that stuff 
I for me a lot of the uh a lot of the magic has uh <clears throat> I guess not even like worn off, but like it's it's taken root. It's part of my foundation now. So it doesn't it's it's not as world ending or, or as uh as upsetting anymore because it's just like, yeah, I've seen this song and dance before, you know. There's you you wanna get not you don't it's not like oh I want to get past it, but you got enough of it, now you can build on it, I guess. And I think that is ultimately Morrison's legacy, is that Morrison's influence in chaos magic is profound. You know, we maybe we haven't done it justice where we talk about it's like like I really mean it. That disinfo lecture is everywhere. Yeah. And the invisibles probably dragged people kicking and screaming to the woo-woo whether they liked it or not i think and um we didn't even i think even touch um, on the f- morrison is the velvet underground of chaos magic <laughs> like maybe not the most not every- like, well i mean morrison of course is like commercially successful but like morrison might not be like the most well-respected occultist in the world but everyone that saw grant morrison give like that disinfo lecture like went home and did magic everyone that read the invisibles had a magical experience because of it. I mean, I'm sure maybe there's one guy who's just like, Fuck, where's Batman? When's Batman going to show up? And that was me. Oh. Like, when's Batman going to show up and punch these, uh, these Archons in the face? I used my Bat Anti-Archon spray, and now they can't touch me. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. But really, the their their influence on magic to this day can be felt, and uh, I think that maybe if we're all really lucky, one day Morrison can look back in an interview and talk about uh what you know. Like, oh, I just didn't wait long enough. I called it I I called it a failure too soon. <laughs> I didn't realize that we needed to go through. And and I do think that there really is there is something to be said about the cyclical nature of these things and that there's never going to be an end. There there's not. If you ever the only way that this story ends is mass extinction and hopefully we avoid that, you know. Yeah. But there's all you know to to quote Zizek, don't worry, there will be new problems. Uh you can't quote Zizek anymore. But um canceled. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Problematic. Yeah, problematic. Although no 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 legit though because that's a that's a segue I didn't mean to not telegraph that better but Morrison's um just in the more in the more pithy and less uh fucking cerebral takes for Morrison Morrison's so based though guys like legitimately oh yeah that man's that man's great fucking um someone it, well well he was talking about Ludus uh the person he was talking to brought up the um how you know, they're non-binary and that got brought on them. And Morrison's like very coy. He's trying to be very nice about it, but he essentially just says like, I, I'm an, I'm a old man. I am, I'm way too old. For <laughs> I had all my, like if, if we didn't have words for it when I was, you know, he said in an interview, essentially something to the effect of when I, like, I, I didn't have words for it, but you know, you'd probably call me like gender queer, non-binary and stuff. And people ran with that. And, but he's like, he's like, I, uh, I didn't ask to be called that. I didn't say you had to call me. <laughs> they like, that's weird. He's like, but it helped, you know, it, it, made people that felt very you know they saw like oh wow someone as big as grant morrison can come out and you know be a they you know then i can do that too and he's like well that's fine and all he's like but like i i wouldn't describe my experience at all as like the transgender experience or anything like that 
the transgender experience, as I understand it, is about like becoming who you are, like getting rid of the exterior, this false outside and becoming who you actually are. Whereas what I was about, what I've always been about is becoming everything, like just all the different things I could be. Back on his uh, constellation of personality idea, he's talked about cancel culture and he brought up the idea of like, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I feel like if we're, maybe we should cancel like one of their personalities, which I think <laughs> is great. I, I like the idea of getting canceled, like having like a life system. You're like, all right, you only have two more personalities left to cancel. Uh, and they're all real yeah. shit. <laughs> they're the ones with the Russia flags. All my good personalities got canceled right out the gate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because they were too fun. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you want to round out the um, utter travesty that we made of um, um, Grant Morrison retrospective by talking about some nerd shit? Yeah, sure. Right after this word from uh, cancel culture. Well, howdy there, folks. Are you tired of those pesky opinions getting in the way of your perfect day? Do you find yourself yearning for a world where everyone thinks just like you do? Well, have we got the solution for you. Introducing Cancel Away, the marvelous elixir that makes cancel culture a breeze. With just a few drops, you can eliminate any dissenting voice and watch as your world becomes an echo chamber of your own thoughts. That's right, folks. Cancel Away is the magic potion that'll transform your social circles into a harmonious utopia where everyone agrees with you all the time. And if you act now, we'll throw in a special edition cancel culture cutter absolutely free. It's like the pair of scissors for those in the industry and extremely in the know. Any of you guys do any like crazy magic stuff, pop magic or otherwise, because Grant Morrison? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I summoned Metron, like literally because Morrison said I could do it. And I was like, I'm gonna do that shit. <laughs> the guy on the chair? Yeah, like that was my thing. I got a chair and I, uh, I, I did like the, the circle and I played music and stuff. And it was like, it, it wasn't amazing, but it, it worked. Like it, I, it was something I called a success because there was a dude who showed up in the chair and it was like, oh shit. I mean, at the time you were really fucking yeah, impressed. Yeah, I was very, like, bro, I think this magic yeah, that, shit's real. I was very much in that like, is this magic shit for real or am I just fucking stupid? So yeah, that was, that was neat. Um, you know, he didn't give me anything profound or any or any of that stuff but uh also i think i mentioned this on the pod before but like one of my first workings was like trying to call prometheus because it seemed like that was the guy you called if you wanted like secret knowledge but and metron is is totally just like the promethea archetype like it's the knowledge guy you know he's like the knowledge bringer Mm -hmm. so it, it linked up with that pretty well so that was neat and then i always say that like somehow the fact that I discovered Prometheus rising and that really opened up my head as far as a lot of magic. I always, I always throw those and say that somehow my first workings with like Promethean entities are somehow connected where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Not bad. What about you local? You do any crazy invisible magic? Um, I shaved my head and pretended to be King Mob for a while just because it was really warm and it's nice to have a shaved head. Did you have King Mob type experiences? No, I mean, if King Mob has a cool head, 
Uh, but no, seriously. I think, um, for a while, I would read a an issue of Invisibles before I went to sleep every night. I don't know if it was really working, but it gave me really weird dreams. I, I think I mentioned this in the Discord, just like bullshitting, but I had a dream where I met Grant Morrison on a train. And he told me some secret about magic, particularly like it involved like the grade signs, like particularly the, the sign of the enterer, you know, sign of Horus. And to this day, if I ever, if I ever meet them, I am going to, I'm going to act as if that was in totally intentional and that they were trying to give me a secret message. And I'm going to like, like, what do you mean? You were there. What were you trying to tell me? I don't remember it when I woke up. Um, so that'll That's be a very great. awkward. Uh, awkward and confusing question for them or maybe maybe they'll just snap to it and like absolutely yeah yeah oh you're you're talking about the left foot you start with the left foot <laughs> that's what i that's all i was trying to tell you um he's gonna say your podcast sucks <laughs> he's just gonna he's gonna um commit to the bit i, I hope <laughs> so i was i was in your brain while you were asleep Say what was the train? You know, say what the, the train looked like. This right? And I'm like, yes. How'd you? That said, um, I will also plug one of my one of the most mysterious yet strangely effective oracles I have ever come across. Right? ZapOracle.com. Plug in that. You guys should check that out. It's a great site. Jonathan Zap is an interesting man, and he has his own oracle that is also really cool. But. He wrote an article or a little essay called, Are You an Invisible? And in it is an oracle that you can use that uses 98 quotes from the Invisibles comic, like the entire run of it, you know, just 98 individual quotes. And it's described as uh, messages from the Invisibles and also dread spells of the Archons that if you can internalize and inoculate yourself with, that know that these dread spells are also moments of revealing. And I just think it's a totally crazy, cool thing. You can use a random number generator with it, or you can, it also describes like printing them all out and putting them in a bag, which feels like a lot of work. But uh, I use it a lot of times when I'm stumped and I don't know what I'm doing, or if I'm just looking for a sign, I've also like, I've invoked and then like gone out into the world. And like the first number that I see is like up oh, there, that's the number. Um, either way, it's just something you can have a lot of fun with. Uh, the quotes will, uh, they'll manifest in strange ways for you. I'll put it that way. And then it's always cool to, I go back and I find whatever issue the quote was from and I read the whole surrounding thing. And, you know, I've read the invisibles enough that usually I can see the quote and it's, oh yeah, that's from like over, you know, that's from, I at least know what volume and what arc it's from. So I can hunt it down pretty easily. It's um it's a fun one. It's not anything super kooky, but it is using the invisibles as a tool for magic, which is neat. What about you, Kennedy? I I personally ran with Morrison's idea of the big ideas for white sometime. That was um that was actually my worldview for like the first couple of years that I was doing magic. I think it informed a lot. I think that's why I'm so interested in seeing Grant's changing traje trajectory in magic because so much of my er own early thinking was like, 
Grant Morrison told me this, so I'm definitely going to go with it. He can't be wrong, right? No, he can't, but at least not at the time. Um, what I do think is interesting is that we both, hell, even, you know, because when the fuck was the heavy metal article, you know, shit, like, what did we say? It was like 2017. Yeah. Around the same time, we both had the big turn towards meaning at being magic, which is fascinating in my mind, just because it was something I hadn't even conceptualized. Like, I remember, I remember reading that article and being unimpressed. It felt like Morrison saying stuff he had already said. I, so I apparently didn't even pick up on the fact that he was talking about meaning then. For me at the time, meaning had become paramount because 2017 was when I started, like, my big, like, Herbert Dreyfus kind of thing, which is, like where my magic work is now so and you know honestly it's the source of a lot of the criticisms of morrison's view <laughs> now but it is interesting that we were both kind of on that pick there um as far as like doing like goofy pop magic i i don't have any good ones i did do like a lot of invocations of like various comic book characters i remember doing superman a lot but i never got like a big one superman never like flew through the window and told me to stop doing drugs or anything <laughs> or like get me to think that the american that truth justice and the american way you gotta are listen thing. to your parents son no, like, nothing like that but i think the probably the biggest like morrison-y type thing i can really come back to was i remember going through a period where i kind of just um started viewing the entire world in a very gnostic kind of way like conspiratorial like all these things are you know part of a a hidden construct to like control the world and stuff and i just remember like purposely getting myself into that kind of worldview to see what it did magically and it was fucking whoo being an invisible is rough i don't recommend it <laughs> yeah I, I that is nothing that i want anything to do with that sounds like a nightmare yeah no like you when you're putting yourself into you know again just we're we're going with all the old things i used to think and agree with that we that I have like grown out of, I guess. So I'll use this one. You can put yourself in a reality tunnel. That is very much not fun. When you think that you're in a sacred battle for the uh, liberation of humanity. That's why being a leftist is sad. <laughs> Jesus. Too close, too close to home. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of a QAnon reference, but it just, <laughs> Went straight up. No, mm. Democrats are bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think ultimately, uh, yeah, being invisibles is uh, is hard, yo. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a, it's just rough. Why can't Superman just come and punch the Archons in the face? <laughs> I forget. Do we even do palate cleansers on these episodes? I don't think so. We do need like a come down because we, we had way too much there. Um, so like if, uh, if Grant Morrison could just write like the multiversity one-offs from now into the end of time, I would be happy. Like oh just let Grant Morrison do like little vignettes into exceedingly strange uh, and radically like aesthetically different uh, versions of basically Elseworlds comics, I would, I would be so happy. That actually, that one that's uh, where it's like Doc Fate, but he's like a, he's like a pulp hero type thing, and then it's like uh, there's like a dinosaur parallax and Felix Faust, and he kicks him in the nuts. Like I, I think like that. If you show me like more of those, I would, I would be fucking thrilled. Like, like just 
so so great. And then just like the actual multiversity like team ups where you get to see all of the different multiverse heroes getting to pop in on everybody. I I just love it. Love everything about it. Like the time um Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield showed up. No, nope. not like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the one where with Spider Gwen and Miles Morales? That's the one. Toby Maguire um, was like, "Don't kill him. He's not worth it." And then he like almost died anyway. Stupid. If you guys could get Grant Morrison to write any comic, what would you want him to write? Steven Universe. You got it. That'd be solid. Yeah, it would probably actually be really good is the problem. I was thinking Moon Knight. Oh, that would be so good. Yeah, I would like Moon Knight Grant Morrison because I think he would have a whole lot of... You know what it would be? It would be like the good version of that terrible thing they did where Moon Knight became like a god and he like stole Thor's hammer because it's made of moon rock or something. Did you read Jeff Lemire's run on Moon Knight? Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe you know that's the problem. It would probably be similar. Well, to that. I, I'm just what, saying, that, if you if you haven't read that, I think you'd really like it because it's. Yeah, I like Jeff's run. It, it it's would, interesting. It like it, it. Okay, okay. I think it would be really great if you made him write Promethea, like a like a. Oh, you stole my idea. I was gonna say I wish I wish that the whole like Watchmen reboot that DC did they just gave it to Grant yes like, <laughs> like it was literally like they just but that's that's wanted, multiversity like, in a, in that's Pax Americana just to, Pax Americana just to is just Grant off. Morrison showing like what if you made the, he, he Morrison's oh. like man that's a that's a iconic comic series you got there. It'd be a shame if someone did it better. <laughs> oh, what do you mean that I have the actual copyright to these characters now, Mr. Moore? Man, oh, <laughs> God, man. Whoa, 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 that's crazy. That's actually the question. Wow. <laughs> we'll have to get into this when we do the Alan Moore special in God knows how many episodes. But, like, DC fucking hates Alan Moore. I guarantee you they told Grant Morrison he could do it just because they're like, yeah, we, we hate Alan. This will hurt his feelings. Hey, this, this bearded fuck's been talking trash about us. You want to... You wanna this motherfucker up? made the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen tank. Get him. <laughs> Grant Morrison's new series, W for Wendetta, coming out. <laughs> <laughs> just to trounce everything Alan Moore holds near and dear. Jerusalem 2. <laughs> this time it's in Scotland. Remember, remember the October This is like Simpson writers something. in like season 30 doing jokes, but I think we're done. Fair enough. Local, thank you so much for coming on. This is really great. Thanks for giving me a bag of McDonald's. Anytime. With that said, been chaos magic news which is only one representation of a much bigger idea of a podcast <laughs> as always if you too would like to explain what a hyper sigil is you can find us at chaosmagicnews.com where we'll have links to the pod uh, occasional article for you to peruse and you can check out some of our interview series with some of the leading edge in occultism also, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we be posting much of the same. Also, 
some dank memeage, because you know you love you some dank memeage. And if that isn't enough for you, we also have a Discord where you can rub elbows with weirdos. <laughs> some of them are even lower. One or two at most. Well, and with that, local, would you like the last word? Um, yeah, if, if y'all guys are looking for something to read, I suggest a little book called The Cabalion. Oh, oh no. I thought we were. He did I the thought we were gonna joke. get. A, I was uh, waiting I for we were, it. It's so beautiful. I thought we were gonna get away with that. Uh, uh, what do you guys think Grant Morrison thinks of the Cabalion? He probably ate it. Just ate the whole Cabalion in one sitting, like with a fork. <laughs> I could have done this a little bit better. All right, I'll just <laughs> see you next time. Thanks for watching, listening. God damn it. Bye bye. Gee, at least you have a, 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 a huge amount of things to put as the opening bit or as the stinger. Because there's just nothing oh, yeah. but gold yeah. from the beginning of this onward. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm you kidding. say that, but. <laughs> Instead, it's just going to be, it's going to be like just a blip of, of, uh, of G going, oh, yeah. Just put the podcast together. Don't use the AI. Fuck you guys. <laughs>